Welcome back to another episode of Sweat and Bullets, a bulletproof fantasy football podcast. I added bulletproof. I shouldn't have. I am terrible at these intros. Someday I will get it right. With me, as always, is Jacob Sanderson, still rocking the jumbled mess of letters as his Twitter handle. I thought you were going to say I'm still rocking my Tennessee Volunteers hoodie, <laughs> fresh off the massive win. I don't know. Do you call, follow college football? Because you play Debbie. But like, uh, are you aware of when teams in college football win and lose? Did Tennessee beat Alabama this week? Yes, they did. Did you not see the ending? It was the craziest football game I've like ever watched. They, I, I like do, wait, barely are, watch. Wait, is this NFL. a bit? Like, you don't know like the result of the game or like what happened in it? Uh, I know, like, no, I don't really know what happened. You didn't it. see I, the videos on Twitter of like a hundred thousand fans carrying the goalposts through the city. I did see that, and I saw that there's like a GoFundMe to get new goalposts. That's so sad, by the way. Like the school, <laughs> that's so hilarious. lame. That is like, honestly. I've never felt like more pride in being a fan. And I, I talked about why I'm a fan on the full tilt show. Long story short, I'm obviously not from Tennessee. I'm from Winnipeg. Do we have an American college football team in Winnipeg? No, we do not. Um, I root for the U of M Bisons, but let's just be honest. <laughs> Canadian college football is super lame. Just so uh, I had to pick an American team to root for because it's a, like, if I'm going to, I love football, obviously. Uh, and if I'm going to like watch football, I have to find a rooting interest. And so like six-year-old me was like, well, I'm a Colts fan and I love Peyton Manning. So where did he oh go to school? Stop and it. he went to school, of course, Tennessee. So I was like, I'll root for Tennessee. And like, You're awful. Um, obviously it's like very different. Like Lucas from Full Tilt, shout out, who has like obviously a more like home innate attachment to the falls. But I've, I've like watched the majority of their games dating back to like 2006. Uh, I've been through a lot of hard times rooting for them i've won so many national championships with them on ncaa mm. um <laughs> i hear they're so, making a new one right oh i'm pumped pumped yeah. for it. um but this is the first vols team i've ever rooted for that's like actually sick awesome. uh and it's pretty fun they're number three in the country they beat alabama for the first time since 2006 um mm. and they did it in like an awesome game like they won 52 to 49 on a game-winning field goal against probably the 102 and 103 in 2023 rookie drafts which are both on Alabama. Um, and yeah, then they won. And 100,000 orange-dressed fans stormed the field. They tore down the goalposts. And they like carried them out of the stadium. And they, I think, dumped some of them in the river. Um, and it looked like one of the most fun things in existence. So yes, I'm rocking the orange. Well, I'm going to add something to the show sheet that is not on the... Matt, I am so sorry. Oh, you want to talk about Jameer Gibbs? Is that what you're yeah. doing? Yeah, we, we had talked about this on Twitter. We forgot it entirely. Did not put it on the show sheet. The show sheet now has an extra item. Matt, this is the, first, all the time. This is the first hashtag sorry, Matt, of the episode. Matt, <laughs> you should get, for the video version, a graphic that says hashtag sorry, Matt, across the screen every time that we do something that's sure to add 10 minutes to the one-hour show that's usually two plus. This, is, this might be two and a half. Yeah. So sorry, Matt. Uh, just get that hashtag ready. We're going to use it a lot, I suspect. So anyway, Jameer Gibbs, he is a pretty good running back as far as I can tell. Um, do you concur? Oh, I think he's awesome. Yeah. You think he's awesome. Is he challenging Bijan Robinson? No. Bijan. Not, not at Bijan all. Bijan Robinson. Bijan. Certainly not. But he's definitely more Bijan than Selzhan. Is it not Bijan? It's Bijan, but you called him Bijan. Yeah, well, it's whatever i'm just rolling with it i well I'll say this, Drew. It's, it's he's more of a bajon than a seljon <laughs> you are going to make a great father one day 
with yeah. jokes like that. But no, he's. I don't think Jameer Gibbs is challenging B. John Robinson, but no. I do think he's clearly number two. And I do think that he's like in a tier of his own among the running backs behind Bijan, but ahead of the rest. And I, and I think that he's the only running back other than Bijan who I would consider drafting ahead of Bryce Young. And have whom? Bryce Young, the oh. presumptive QB one. Yeah. So I think I could get there one day. I don't know. We'll see. The Jameer Gibbs profile looks spectacular right up until you look at the size column and he's like five nine 200 pounds yeah maybe is... i mean college like weights are who fucking knows yeah so yeah. like he he's, could weigh in at... this whole conversation is like so preliminary because he could weigh in at 190 or he could weigh in at 210 and we would have like vastly different conversations yeah yeah so he's listed right now at 511 200 pounds uh, some of you may know Fusivu. He is a staunch supporter of using the lowest listed height he can find, which is yeah. 5'9 for Jameer Gibbs, which I think is probably fair. I think he's 5'9, just like kind of eyeballing when I watch yeah. him. I think he's 5'9 or 5'10. He's not 5'9. So he's 5'9, 200 pounds. That's smaller than Aaron Jones. That's roughly Austin Eckler size. To be fair, and I hate to, this is bad radio. If you're going to be 200 pounds, I would rather you be 5'9 than 5'11. Yeah. Yeah. I can agree with that. Uh, there are a lot of folks that think, you know, well, Christian McCaffrey was only 203 pounds and he turned out just fine. And that is true. We are, I am in no way saying that him being five, nine and 200 pounds is 100% going to limit his ceiling. What I am going to say is him being five, nine and 200 pounds gives him a lower percentage chance of hitting a Christian McCaffrey ceiling, but he does catch a hell of a lot of passes. So, there's a lot, a lot of appeal with Jameer Gibbs. I'm just not 100% sure that an NFL team is going to look at a 5'9", slash 5'11", 200-pound, possibly lower. I've heard of quite a few people tell me he's actually less than 200 pounds uh, running back and give him a substantial workload. Even Austin Eckler does not get a substantial workload. So, like, we're really talking about kind of let's hope for, like, a, he'd be kind of an outlier if he were to receive a substantial workload in the NFL. It's possible, yeah. but it's preliminary. We don't even know how big he actually so, is. So. I think Christian McCaffrey is like just like the outlier of all outliers, right? All the in outliers. the sense that, I mean, he gets a workload that like nobody has gotten since practically like the Ladanian Tomlinson days in terms of like what he gets rushing and receiving. Yeah. I think the, the more common elite receiving back archetype looks like your Austin Eckler or your Alvin Kamara. Right. That's like more what I think we think of when we think of the ceiling scenario for an elite receiving back. Kamara's then, quite a bit bigger though. If he's Kamara's size, like I'm all yeah, Kamara there. bulked up to 215. Um, but in college, I do not think Kamara was anywhere near 215. We came into the combine and weighed 5'10, 214. Did he not? Yeah. And I mean this but this is the thing, like we know how a lot of this works, which is that. I bet you Jameer Gibbs is probably playing like 195 right now. Mm-hmm. I bet you when he shows up to the combine, he's going to weigh like 204. And mm-hmm. then by the time he actually plays again, he's going to be right back to 195. But like, I think that's probably what happened with Kamara. Like I, I would be stunned. And I, Kamara, shout out University of Tennessee. I've watched pretty much every one of his college games. Um, and I don't think there's a chance in hell that in college he was playing anything close to 214. Now, I think he actually has bulked up in the NFL. He looks bigger than he did in college. But uh I don't know that he's actually 214. 
I, I think that a lot of these guys, like we saw this with Etienne, right? Like Etienne, what did he weigh in at? Two, I want to say like, I don't have it in front of me. He was like 210. Yeah, well, I thought it was a 210, 211. He was in the mix, right? He was like 210. He was between 210 and 215. Um, at the, yeah, he's 5'10", five, five, 215. He was a monster. So, so the Camara, basically almost exactly. So he weighed in at 215 on the pro day. Um, he also ran, uh, that was the weird year where they, you know, it was all pro days. There was no laser. Uh, but people were were saying he ran about a 4.4 uh, on the frame by frame, cut up to 4.5. You watch him now, he's faster, and he's also not a fucking chance to see 215. <laughs> so um, so I, I think that that's probably what we're going to see out of Gibbs. But they come in, they check the box, right? And that's kind of the same for everybody. What I will say is that, I was going to say, it's the same. Like, everyone who's going to be under 200 pounds, though, is doing the same thing. Oh, yeah, like, absolutely. Like, if, if Gibbs doesn't come in at 210, I'm substantially less interested. I mean, like within reason, like if he's 205, then sure, I'm I'm still kind of interested. But uh, if he's like 200 pounds at pro day or combine or wherever he gets weighed at, that's a huge red flag because that means that he's probably not going to play anywhere near that in the NFL. So here's what I wanted to quickly lay out. Like in terms of workload, right? Beyond just the weight, if we look at his experience adjusted rush yards market share, right? This is not a like James Cook situation, right? Where James Cook was not only small, but he also just like wasn't used, right? He was pretty much only used as a satellite back in college. Zamir White handled all the carries, right? James Cook was, he never breached uh, a 25% rush market share uh, during his time in four years in college. Jameer Gibbs has been up at 38% in year two, so far, he's in the midst of year three. He's right there again. So he's not Christian McCaffrey. Uh, he's not even Aaron Jones in terms of his rush yards market share. But he is getting an actual workload. He's basically right alongside DeAndre Swift. If you go year by year uh, and you look at how much of a percentage of his team's rushing yards is he actually getting. And then... Yeah. I was, I was going to say, it's DeAndre Swift feels like what I would really like to see from Jamar Gibbs. Swift came in 5'8", is crushing DeAndre Swift to smithereens when you look at receiving yards market share. So DeAndre Swift came in uh, just about 5% in year one. He came in just under 10% uh, receiving yards market share year two. And then he comes in uh, comes in just under 7.5% in year three. Jameer Gibbs is on the Christian McCaffrey track. He was 15% year one, just under 20% year two. So far this year, uh, he's about 14%. That's like above Kamara. That's above Aaron Jones. That's way above freaking James Cook. That's only below Chris McCaffrey at this little data set. So I think Jameer Gibbs is like, not only is can he handle enough rushing work, right? I'm not saying 20 carries a game, but he can be like a Kamara or an Aaron Jones or DeAndre Swift on the ground where he's getting, you know, a little over half the carries, but seeding some to a Mark Ingram, a Jamal Williams, a ironically Jamal Williams again. Um, so maybe Jamal Williams will just end up in Jameer Gibbs' backfield. And he'll just Probably what's going to happen. It's the only role. logical conclusion. Um, anyhow, but I think he is like certainly more than just a dump-off specialist. Like I think mean, he's a special pass catcher. Like He can run the full running back route tree. He can be lined up in the slot and do things. He can actually get air yards. Like I think we're just talking a really unique ceiling uh, with Jameer Gibbs. And look, it's a long time before you have to make a decision to rookie draft, so I don't want to talk about this all the time. But in terms of if we want elite ceiling, right? If we want elite ceiling running backs, 
who can just walk onto any team and get 20 points per game. I don't think that Zach Evans or, well, maybe Sean Tucker, but draft capital depending. The discussion that I had was with um, Nelly Analytics uh, on Twitter was mostly about Gibbs versus Evans. And uh, Noah Hills jumped into at no more parties. Uh, And they were more on the Evans side. And my statement is off Evans. Like, I think he's a more prototypical like Joe Mixony type of running back. I, I think that uh, Noah brought up that comparison where it's probably pretty easy to envision him having 15 points per game in any situation. And if he's on a good team where he can get touchdowns and he can catch like some receptions just through the course of the offense, he could be like an 18 point per game guy. But like Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara and these guys, like they can put up monster seasons on bad teams. <laughs> like DeAndre Swift can put up monster seasons on bad teams, right? And, and I think that that's the kind of thing that we're looking at with Jameer Gibbs where if he hits... Like, yeah, maybe there's some risk where he's just not getting the rushing work or whatever. But if he hits, like, all of a sudden he becomes like a situation agnostic, elite RB1, because he can catch 80, 90 balls in a season for like close to a thousand yards. Like, that's, you just, you just don't get the chance to draft that kind of running back very often. And so the idea of passing that up in the rookie draft just seems like something that I, I won't be doing. Yeah, so I like I do I do Debbie rankings for those that don't know. And I just did my Debbie ranking update. And Jamar Gibbs is not my running back to in this class it's uh as of now if he comes in what's that are you one of the tucker bros yeah 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 yeah, i am i i'm surprised there aren't as i'm I'm surprised there aren't more of us there are dozens but there should be i'm I'm like a tucker bro in the way that i was a david bell bro last year which is that i think his profile looks great but i'm a little scared about draft capital now that's like not even necessarily based on anything yet in the same way that the david bell stuff wasn't based on anything yet and then it very much was when we started seeing mock draft data come in nothing would make me happier than like retracting the statement in two months and seeing that he's commonly mock drafted in like the first or the second round i just think it's a really good running back class and to be honest this is like middle iq brain in terms of that meme but Bijan robinson he plays at texas everybody knows him he's probably gonna go first round jameer gibbs plays at alabama and he's really flashy and i don't think that there's much of a concern about him and people view him like as a special talent i I just could so easily see like the Syracuse running back be like, just like fall into round three where there's only a couple teams that want to spend high capital at running back. They spend it on uh, Bijan and Gibbs, maybe Zach Evans. And then there's other teams that go sign like a Barkley or Josh Jacobs or Miles Sanders or whoever else, Kareem Hunt. And all of a sudden we're looking at Tucker and he goes like the end of the third round. And it's like, if, if you've, if you've, done it in Devi or you've done a pre rookie draft NFL draft. And then you invest in the guy that goes around three when you could have had Gibbs who goes like at the front half around two, like you feel like crap about yourself at that point. Yeah. I think like from a, if I were drafting today, I would probably draft Jameer Gibbs at two because I feel pretty confident we're getting some reasonably high draft capital. I don't know that we're getting the elite ceiling that uh, that I hope that we are going to get if we get like the three down roll for him or if we get like uh, Austin Eckler where he has to be like truly special in order to really be awesome. Mm-hmm. Where, whereas Sean Tucker, I feel like if we hit his 100th percentile, like it's it's going to be amazing. Like the guy's 5'10", 210 and is a track star that has really impressive production across the board. So... He's just got a like. He's basically, in my opinion, he, like Jonathan Taylor at this point of Jonathan Taylor's uh, career. Like 
in college, I mean, like before he was a generational second round pick. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm in on Sean Tucker if he gets draft capital, no problem. I'll I'll be a Tucker bro for sure. I'm I'm just a little bit more cautious, but I have no issue with the Sean Tucker profile. Assuming he gets round two capital, I will draft a ton of Sean Tucker. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, basically, where I'm concerned with is will Jameer Gibbs actually get a role that is exciting, or will he be a glorified James White? I don't know. This we'll is entirely it. your fault. We we started with Devi talk. And so no one is yeah. listening to this podcast. Today. Everybody loves Debbie. Everybody loves 2023 rookie talk. That's playing dynasty. Get that's out of true. here. Get out of here. We're talking about high first round picks in 2023. You've been hoarding first round picks in all your rebuild teams. Why have you been hoarding first round picks, Jacob? Well, I've been hoarding first round picks because first round picks are a great investment. And interestingly enough, I've kind of reached the point where I've stopped hoarding first round picks actually on all of my like teams that are either tanking or rebuilding, or I'm just not quite sure if they're a good enough contender yet to go all in with whatever those teams, I'm still hoarding 2023 picks. And then some of my like, teams that I think are like pretty clear favorites or could be if with one more deal, they could just secure that by. I'm actually a little bit open to dealing my 2023 pick at this point, but what I'm definitely not open to doing is dealing any 2024 picks or 25 picks and what I'm very, very into doing is acquiring a bunch of 2024 picks and 2025 picks. And for the record, I'm also into acquiring 2023 picks. But I I always want to be trying to build most of my draft portfolio two years out when they're most available. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of in the year, right? Like in this year. So for instance, I'm already plus, um, I went through and did an inventory. I'm already plus 52% on no higher. I'm already plus uh, 62%, I believe, on 2024 picks. So I was in like, I'm already about like 30 or so 2024 picks above what it would be if I just had my own in every league. And I want to keep getting that number all the way up to like plus 75% or so by 2023 draft day. And then it'll probably sit about even during the next season where I'll spend a few on a few teams. I'll get more on tank teams. But the reason why I'm always acquiring picks year plus advance is this idea of what I call the whole tax. And there was a tweet that went around on Twitter. That is where tweets go around. Uh, And I imagine some people might've saw it saying, why do rebuilding teams always sell their good young assets for picks? And I got so angry that I wanted to type something mean. And then I logged off. And then it bothered me for like an hour afterwards. And so then I came up with a composed statement and I posted a little thread. And this is to me the number one issue. It drives me crazy in my leagues when I'm trying to buy off rebuilding teams when I'm not a rebuilding team. And it drives me crazy when I have people talk like this that are heeding my, seeking my dynasty advice, right? And in some sense, it totally makes intuitive sense. I have AJ Brown on my team. He's only 25. Is AJ Brown still going to be good next year? Almost certainly. Like, if I am I planning on rebuilding forever? No. So why wouldn't I just keep A.J. Brown on my team until next year? And then he's still going to be good. He's only going to be 26 years old. And then we're, we're good to go, right? The issue is, is that every player only has so much production over the course of their career. Specifically, they only have so much production in what I call the rental window, right? The rental window is something that I've termed to refer to the point in time where so long as a player produces at their expected value, their value 
will remain relatively stable. And essentially, this is before the age apex, right? If AJ Brown produces, like we expect AJ Brown to produce to this year at age 25, he'll mostly be valued the same next year at age 26. Once he hits like 27, 28, then he won't be. He would have to actually exponentially go above expectations to raise in value. Because if he just meets expectations, he'll start losing value due to age, right? Cooper Cup, an example last year. He went materially above expectations, and so his value went up at an age that most wide receivers do not. Devontae Adams met expectations. He was phenomenal last year. He's been good this year, but he'll still be worth less next year than he was this year. Stefan Diggs is having a great year. He's probably still going to be worth less next year than he was this year because he's expending his expected value, right? Part of the value of every player is the points they're giving you right now. A.J. Brown is using some of those points right now. And so if you're the recipient of those points, you want to make sure that you can benefit from those points. You want to make sure that you're trying to win games, right? You don't want team, you don't want players scoring for you when you're not trying to win games. Because look at what can happen to an AJ Brown right now, right? There's essentially roughly four options. Number one, he can start producing better than expected. That's possible. It's pretty hard to do though, because we already expect him to produce quite a lot, right? He's valued as a top five wide receiver in dynasty. If he started scoring 20 points per game the rest of the way, okay, now he's probably like wide receiver three tier of his own. Whereas now he's like some people's wide receiver three, some people wide receiver four, some people wide receiver five. That's not that much of a difference. Maybe that's like an extra second, maybe a late second round pick in this value, maybe a third round pick in this value. It's not that much of a difference. He could also just produce about the same as he's been doing which will be worth about the same, maybe slightly less because of age. Or he could produce worse than we expect, in which case his value will probably go down. Not like massively, not like a DeAndre Hopkins would or an Al Robinson would, because people have a lot of priors about him. They think he's good. His value is pretty secure, but it would still drop. Or negative externalities. Act of God. He tears his ACL. God forbid. Uh, he breaks his foot. Like another wide receiver named Brown who we thought was out for the season. Turns out he's not, but it's still a significant injury. And the reality is, is that there's that very small chance that he gets more valuable by beating our expectations versus a pretty decent chance he's about the same and a, and a much bigger chance, or what I really should say is a much more impactful chance in terms of the difference between his cost now and his cost later, that that cost goes way down. Look at Javante Williams, perfect case. Young player, right? Type of guy you want to build around. He tears his ACL. It's a multi-ligament tear. He went from being almost universally worth two first-round picks to being worth, like, one first-round pick. He, you basically lost a first-round pick if you had Javante Williams when he tore his ACL and a couple other CLs. That's really bad. Look, if you're competing, that's the risk that you take. Sometimes you roster players and they get hurt. It happens. But if you're rebuilding, there is no need to subject yourself to that kind of risk. And here's the other great thing about... Hold on a second, because the other thing with that is if you're holding Javante uh, or Marquis Brown in your rebuild and you're waiting for, you know, next year we're going to compete and they're still currently scoring points, they're negatively impacting your draft position this year. Get them onto somebody else's team. My favorite move is I often will have a whole bunch of draft picks. So if I have a player that's scoring points, that's young, that I can get a boatload for, I look at the team whose draft picks I freaking hold, and I go and sell the player that's going to score points on their team. Right. 
or sorry, not on their team, on the uh, teams that they're playing against. Like, I'm not yes, going to trade exactly. it to the guys whose pick I own. I'm going to go trade it to the guy who's battling for the playoffs with the guy that whose pick I own. So anyway, sorry to cut oh, you. Oh, I agree with that. I That's one of my favorite moves. I did that just only the other day where I went to a guy and I held his, I held owner A's pick, right? And he was like one and four, but he was pretty committed to making a big push at that six seed come hell or high water. And I mean, I guess fair enough because I had his picks and his first and second. So what did yeah. he have to lose? Um, but I go to another team and I'm like, yeah, I still got some pieces here. I would really like to sell them to you <laughs> specifically because if you can get this guy down to one and five, like now we're cooking with gas, right? Yeah. Um, now it turns out I did get the sale done. Turns out he still lost, which is a bummer. But uh, it certainly it certainly can work. Uh, what is it? Sixty percent of the time works every time. Yeah. Um, here, here's the the main point I want to get to with this is you're absorbing all this risk, right? You're hurting your own draft position. And for what? I want to return to that thing that I, I brought up at first called the whole tax, right? And how I would define the whole tax is essentially the opportunity cost of immobilized value in non-productive assets, okay? The opportunity cost of immobilized value in unproductive assets. Essentially, it's an opportunity cost, right? What is an opportunity cost? It's what you could do with something if you aren't doing this. The opportunity cost of me recording this podcast with Gru right now is any other alternative. I could be studying. I could be out for a drink. I could be watching Netflix, right? All The next best alternative, that's the opportunity cost. The opportunity cost of holding a 24 first is you can't trade that 24 first for a player. I think it was one of our patrons, uh, Claypool Stan, who tweeted out, I wish I could start my 23 firsts. You can't. That's the opportunity cost. <laughs> you cannot start your draft pick, right? If you want to start your 23 first, you have to trade it for a player. Uh, if you are bad, that there is no opportunity cost, right? You are trying to not score points. <laughs> like Drew said, it actually is hurtful to score points. So the more you can store value in those assets, they go away. Well, What's, what do we know about economics? What do we know about any form of market? If there's if you have to pay something, then you usually get something. And if you're paying the whole tax, what do you get in this case is you get value accrual, right? Because there's a whole tax, because there's an opportunity cost, that is why Travion Henderson, for instance, who's the projected 2024-101 running back, who will, we probably expect that he'll be a top five dynasty running back when he ultimately declares but there's a reason why he is not right now a top five dynasty running back because you have to sit and wait for multiple years before you can do it, right? That's the reason why most people would say when 2023 draft comes around, Bijan Robinson will be my RB1 in dynasty. But right now it's Jonathan Taylor or Brees Hall. Why? Because those guys score points for you and Bijan Robinson doesn't score points for you. The benefit is when you're tanking, when you're not trying to win, you don't have to worry. You you are have time on your side, you get to sell time to other teams, right? You get to sell their urgency. You get to take advantage of their urgency and you get to be patient. And so it doesn't make any sense for you to hold assets that you don't have a comparative advantage for in terms of players that score points when instead you get to hold picks. And then sometimes people say, okay, I get it. I want 23 picks, but I want to compete next year. So why am I trading for 24 picks or 25 picks? The thing is the whole tax, you don't, a sign in blood where 
You trade for a 24 pick now. You cannot do anything with it until you eventually have to make that selection. And then you make that selection. And you cannot do anything with that player forever and ever and ever. Amen. No. You can pay one year of the whole tax. You can just sit on the 24 first now. You can sit on it through draft day. And then in September, maybe that team whose 24-1 you had has taken a turn for the worst. You know, they took out a loan. They paid you the 24-1 this year. They got Mike Evans, uh, and he's helping a lot this year. And then Tom Brady retires, and Mike Evans isn't helping out so much, and their team has taken a turn for the worst. Maybe you go back to them and you say, hey, I'll give you this 24-1. You know what you're going to be able to get? Probably more buying power out of it at that point in time uh, than you have today. You can let somebody else pay the rest of the whole tax. The point is, is that I guarantee you that draft picks, any draft pick that you have in future years will be worth more at the time, at any time the current season ends when production no longer matters, and then will be worth more again after the next season. And so there is no point to holding young assets that are subject to all this risk that score points that you don't want and that serve a higher purpose on other teams when you could simply hold picks instead that you can then sell later for whatever your team needs when you have a high enough value team that you're ready to compete. Makes perfect sense. And I think that, uh, yeah, like it's just, it blows my mind that people think that you're like married to a pick if you trade for it. You are. Like that, that's the thing that you just are. drives me crazy. It's like, what are you ever going to win? It's like, well, yeah. When I use my pick, I can either pick a player, I could trade for a player, I could use it to go up and get a better player. There's a whole bunch of ways that I can use this draft pick to help my team. And if I have Marquise Brown and he's out for the year, I just lost so much value that it's just not worth holding that. Like, And he's hurting my team while he's playing. So A, he gets hurt and loses value. My team value goes down. Or B, he doesn't get hurt. He scores points and I win a game I never should have won. Now my draft pick value is ruined. So it's just like, stop it, people. Just trade for draft picks. Do you have any idea how tilted? Like I have, I I talked about my home league team the last time we did a show or two times ago, maybe. I was so tilted this week. I picked up Mike Kosicki on waivers because I was like, this is ridiculous. How can you drop Mike Kosicki? He's not very good, but he should be rostered. And this asshole scored 28 points this week. He almost won me my game. If I started a defense, because our home league still uses defense, if I started a defense, I likely would have won. Thankfully, I do not roster defenses so that I can't start them and risk winning. But I would have risked going to 3-3 and with a roster that features 70% players that I picked up on waivers after the rookie draft. Um, So this would have been seriously concerning. Um, Look, do I think Mike Kosicki will score 28 very often? Absolutely not. But there's a lot of players that will, and you should get them off your roster. All right. Should we get in with the regularly scheduled? Oh, my God. We still have more things to cover. By the way, for those listening. Let's skip some for Matt. Matt. Okay, so which one do you want to talk about? Because here's the deal, guys. We're going to do a redraft based on what we've seen thus far, of the 2022 rookies. And then the other things we wanted to talk about were the Falcons and Russell Wilson. And let's pick one of the other two to talk about. Okay, I'm, I want to go with Russell Wilson because it came okay. up on the Discord today. Let's do about, it. Should we buy Russell Wilson? I hope you didn't buy low on Russell Wilson, you fools. He's toast. What were you thinking? 
And my simple answer to all of this is that we should buy low on Russell Wilson. Oh, that's Keep absolutely right. Ringing the bell. We want more Russ. You, here, here's, here's a, a text that um, that I sent out today um, with regards to Russell Wilson. Uh, oh, <laughs> because I had to reload my entire operating system on my Mac. I now can't see it on my computer, but that's fine. I have it right mm. here. I said, with Russell's body of work, it will probably take almost two full years of him looking this bad to get to a point where I'm no longer interested in buying, especially assuming that his cost will probably keep declining for as long as he looks bad. I assume at this point that by the time that I no longer think he's worth buying, he will simply be on waivers in every league or I will be dead. So therefore, I'll probably keep buying Russell Wilson at whatever the cost is. Well, that's exactly it. Like I, I like his his performance hasn't been good. Let's not get carried away, but he, he's just not scoring touchdowns. That's what the problem is. They're just not scoring touchdowns. They're getting enough yards. As we know, the quarterback has no impact on that. Well, he does have an impact on that, but like, (laughs) it's not like he's not moving the offense down the field. Like they're moving the offense down the field and then they're not scoring touchdowns. And if there's one thing we know about Russell Wilson, it's that he's really good at scoring touchdowns for like a decade. Not like he had a really good touchdown rate for uh, the last five games last year, so we should buy into that. We're talking about an entire decade of a history of performing at an extremely high level. So I'm just not willing to throw in the towel on a player who's playing injured on a brand new team and with possibly the worst head coach in the history of football. Like At this point, I'm not sure if Urban Meyer or Nathaniel Hackett is worse. I think it's remarkable that we've come to this already yeah i mean the things that hackett does are bewildering to say the least um he deploys personnel in a way that essentially tells the other team if they're going to run or pass based on how he deploys his tight ends because they almost exclusively run out of 12 personnel sets which feature tomlinson and either sober or beck and then they almost exclusively pass out of 11 personnel sets which feature dulcich or previously albert o uh they also, like, gave 15 carries to Latavius Murray in the year of our Lord, 2022. And I just can't imagine thinking that that's a good way to do things. They had a series in overtime, their first possession in overtime last night, where they started with two con- consecutive carries to Latavius Murray, which, to his credit, they actually got a third and one out of. And then third and one, they went shotgun pass on a 16-yard crosser route, which is, like, a play that you could call on third and 12, right? You're, so you're basically taking no advantage of having a third and one in the sense that you are a calling a play 15 yards down the field and B you're doing it out of shotgun, which eliminates the benefit of third and short, which is that teams have to defend the run and the pass. And then you're not like doing like a creative pass where it's like a bootleg or it's like a zone read or, you know, it's like a, a screen or something. It's just like a regular passing play. Uh, so the situational football is astoundingly bad. I think Hackett's an idiot. I think the Russ has played bad. And this is just one of those ones where it's like, I think people struggle to accept buy lows if there's not a reason, right? Like some people it's like, oh, Deontay Johnson's a buy low because he's averaging like five fantasy points under expectation, which yes, I do think Deontay Johnson's a buy low. But those sums are more obvious. I think people struggle with the buy lows where it's like, this guy's playing terrible, but I think he won't eventually. 
right? Yep. And that's like that's kind exactly of where it is yeah. with Russ. Like there is to some extent, like some actual statistical bio, like you mentioned, they're not scoring as many touchdowns as they usually would for how many yards of offense, but they also aren't like moving the offense as effectively as we would have thought they would have either. No. Um, and so but it's not bad. Like they're not like worst in the league right. moving the offense. Like I'll say this too, right? Like he's been worse than these guys, but um, Matt Ryan's first year in this system was not very good. He went on to win MVP next the next year. Uh, Aaron Rodgers' his first year in the system was not on to win MVP the next year. Um, I think there is something to be said for Wait, quarterbacks. Are you, are you making the claim right now today on this podcast that Russell Wilson MVP 2023? I'll say this: the odds are going to be so long that I'll almost certainly bet on it. Um, wow, that was that was really uh, really a powerful message. Could have leaned into Russell that. Wilson will probably have slightly higher odds of winning the MVP in 2023 than the sport books will list, and therefore I will <laughs> wager 0.5 units on it. Wow, That's you are take. you are um, just as spicy as they come. Yeah, no, I'm sitting here on my fence. Um, but no, I'm saying that I, I'm saying that I think that Russell Wilson. It sometimes is this obvious for me. What's more likely that Russell Wilson, at the age of 33, which is not particularly old for quarterback, 33.9. Okay, so almost 34. He's old. So he's old, but he's not that old for quarterbacks. No, he's like, he's fine. He's got probably another three to four years left. Like if he was a wide receiver, I would be like, oh, this dude's cooked, right? Oh, for sure. He's a quarterback. Quarterbacks are usually fine at the age of 33. Especially good ones. And like... like yeah, there's like the, I forget what the you, you probably know this. What's the the thing called uh, survivorship bias? Like yes. quarterbacks that get to 34 or 33 are already good. Like we don't see bad quarterbacks get to this point. Right, exactly. And they don't tend to decline this rapidly. Like, so I still think that Russ has three, four more good years left. And the other thing too is if you are watching Russ, hashtag grind the tape. He looks physically fine. Like, it's not like he's Matt. Like, when you watch Matt Ryan, right? And it's just like, oh, like, he can't throw a 15-yard out anymore with any velocity because his arm is obviously, like, greatly atrophied from where it was a couple of years ago. He's probably washed. Um, but that's not the case with, you know, with with Russell Wilson. He saw a zip on the football. Look at the touchdown to Dulcich yesterday. It was awesome. He had, like, tons of zip on the football. It's just he's hey, not, like, making good Dulcich, reads. Dulcich got a touchdown, hey? He sure did. It was a freaking sick touchdown, too. That is my guy. guy. That was awesome to see. He ran 81% did, of the routes in his first did game. Did Jelani get a touchdown? He only catches touchdowns, actually, but he doesn't get yards or, or play That's snaps. But He's the Gabriel Davis of the tight end position. He is. That's true. Um, but no, Russell Wilson, he looks fine physically. He's not reading the defense well, uh, and he's making bad decisions. And I guess like, what's more likely, that a Hall of Fame-level quarterback stop understanding how to play quarterback? Or that he's struggling to learn a new offense and is having issues, and he'll eventually not have issues anymore. Like I just think the second is so much more likely. Um, and I mean, we might get to a point where you can buy for less than a first, which is pretty crazy because he was like valued at like two firsts in the offseason. So if you can get Russell Wilson for less than a first, or if you can get him for like a player that has late first value, but that we would always trade for a first in any circumstance, that would just be. A windfall, right? And it's a very low risk investment at that point. So, so, like, you're sitting in your league chat and you're like, hey, I have Ramondre Stevenson. Would I trade my Ramondre Stevenson obviously. for a Russell Wilson? Yes. Do you know how Absolutely. good Ramondre Stevenson is? So good. But you would trade him a 20, 
ish. 24 is that old? He 24 is very old, rookie. Yeah. 24 year old sophomore running back running behind an excellent offensive line in a medium powered offense for Russell Wilson, who is probably cooked. Yeah, sure would. It's me. <laughs> no, it's like you're really, off. They're coming to arrest me. Yeah, you really, uh, you, you, you kind of like absolutely nailed what I think a lot of people's issue is with buying low is people really don't like buying low for players that are underperforming. They want like, you know, the injury discount or the, you know, uh, this is like the, like even with DJ Moore, they're like, I don't want to buy low. He like, he, it's never going to work. I'm like, it's going like it, it can't, he's never been this bad before. He's never been this bad. There's no way that this can be the new norm. Like he's never had good quarterbacks. This isn't the new norm. Just go and buy him. I know it sucks, but you just need to go and get him. Russell Wilson, we know is good at football. DJ Moore, we know is good at football. These players that we know are good at football that are not playing well, that are not like aged out of the league, like Allen Robinson right now is like not playing well. He has a tremendous history of playing well, and now he's not playing well, but he's on the fucking cliff. Like it's like, there's not a lot of time for this to turn around. Whereas with Russell Wilson, we got probably three, four, five years left. DJ Moore, he's 24, 25 right now. We still got a few years left, quite a few years left. Like in Dynasty, these are the players you need to go get right now. I'm not Can saying. Can you imagine if you bat, bought Matt Ryan his first year in the Kyle Shanahan offense, the year before oh. he won MVP? That, that would have been yeah. one of the most profitable buy lows that you could have made. Yeah. yeah well, honestly, even buying Aaron Rodgers after his first year in the offense would have been a great decision to make because he was he his value took a tremendous hit at that point people were like oh it's probably the end and you know like he's he's getting pretty old he's 35 36 somewhere in there it's probably over and then boom he was mvp like the next two years so like just and, and here and here's the difference between redraft and, and dynasty and dynasty i'm way more interested in going to get dj Moore and russell wilson because i'm pretty confident long term it's going to turn around in redraft, I'm less confident that's going to turn around. Like if we have an extended PJ Walker uh, under center where he's throwing for one air yard on the game, DJ like not, that's, that's not going to be good. And if Baker Mayfield comes back and is continually can, like continues to be as terrible as he was to begin the year and coming off injury, probably not that outrageous to suggest that he's going to be playing very poorly the rest of the year. You are adding segments, man. We're not, this is not a DJ Moore segment. Uh, what? <laughs> Not a DJ Moore segment. We're pivoting. That's it. I'm cutting you. Sorry, off. Matt. <laughs> we. You're welcome, Matt. I just saved the show. Okay. Right. Let's let's go. Here's what we're gonna do. We have now seen six weeks of the 2022 rookie class, uh, and you probably drafted a lot of them because you probably had a lot of picks because we like picks. Yeah. And you know we had takes coming into rookie drafts. You had takes going into rookie drafts. And we are now going to do everybody's favorite thing for, for clicks, right? And we're going to do clicks for picks. We're going to do a little mock draft. Is it we're clicks for through... picks or picks for clicks? Because I think the second way sounds Picks better. for clicks. Picks for clicks. Yeah, yeah picks for better. clicks. That's better. Yeah, we're selling out right now for those that aren't aware. We are. We are selling out. I literally told Drew, I said, you know what? Get those sweet, sweet clicks if you get a mock draft. And so we're going we're gonna to re-mock the 2022 rookie class. Um, it's going to be a super flex format. 
just assume like fairly regular settings for hardcore dynasty players. So like super flex, tight end premium, start two running backs, start three wide receivers, two or three flex, uh, PPR. And we're going to do this, you know, under the market conditions that exist at a typical dynasty league. So we're, we're not saying like you have to have this guys for the rest of your career. We're saying, who would you like to have right now? And then once you've placed your value in this player, you can do whatever you want. You can take them and then you can trade them literally tomorrow. You can trade them, you know, at the end of the season, you can hold them for, for dear life. You can, you can drop them if you want to you can do whatever you want. Um, and so those are the parameters and we're going to run through this. We're going to go, we're going to talk a little bit about each player for the first round. And then we're going to try and squeeze in a second round with like, just like kind of saying a name and maybe like 20 seconds about each, but we'll see if we get there. Drew, I've made the executive decision that you're on the clock first. And I've also made the executive decision that this is a snake draft. Um, so this means that you will pick first and you'll pick fourth and fifth and eighth and ninth and 12th. And I'll pick second, third, sixth, seventh, 10th and 11th. This is way too complicated. I had no idea this was going to be this complicated. Okay. No. With the 101 in the 2022 remock draft of rookie picks valued as they are today, where we can trade them in the future or hold them for dear life. I am going to select the Damian one Pierce. Only, not <laughs> Damian Pierce. I will take Brees Hall to the bank. A better sure. prospect than Jonathan Taylor, who was generational per oh, the masses. And Brees Hall is better in every way. And I will take Brees Hall. And I, that's a bit of a lie. He's probably not a better rusher, but he's got a much higher receiving ceiling. So thank you, Brees Hall. We're going to win our championship in year one and year two and year three. And then we're probably going to trade him around age 24. Yeah, that's that's a good plan. Right right around, you know, just like I'm trying to trade Jonathan Taylor now. Right. It's, although yeah. although he kind of fucked that up by being so shitty, but hopefully he'll get healthy and then he'll be good again and then I can trade him. Um, I, for one, would never, never tag a player with a 21-point ceiling as generational, just for the record. Well, I'm not sure that's a ceiling because he had more points than that last year. 21.7, get out of here. I was rounding. Well, you should have rounded up to 22 then. <laughs> that's how, usually how rounding works. Not All when right. I'm trying to illustrate a point. All right. Well, I gave you, uh, I gave you the one-on-one because it's just a. I mean, it's really boring to talk about because it's so obviously Brees Hall, uh, and B because you need all the help you can get here. So I thought I would just give you a little boost with the one-one. The one-two is where this draft certainly gets more interesting, um, and I think there are a few reasonable contenders, but mine certainly is Drake London. Drake London was my 102. He remains my 102. Uh, we can talk as the other contenders get picked of the other potential players that you could take in the slot. I think there, there are, are no other potential players. Get out of here. There's candidates. only one. There's one option. And you know, uh, good job. But Drake London is my 102. He has been over a 30% targets per route run uh, in this year's rookie class. That is by far, uh, by an absolute mile, the best mark in this class. That's an elite mark for almost any wide receiver in the NFL. And essentially the only reason why you aren't seeing high level top 12 wide receiver play out of him in fantasy every single week 
is because the Falcons are an archaic offense, and I wanted to talk about that today. But you know what? I have a feeling that they're going to remain that way. So I think that we can probably keep that <laughs> segment alive for next week. Uh, he's a boss. He was our one-two beforehand. Really awesome prospect. One of the highest grade of bulletproof prospects in the system. And he's met all of our expectations in the first six games. Uh, I expect that he will continue to. And if there's any chance that you can buy low on Drake London, based on him having not a lot of points these last few weeks and people being really down on the Falcons, you absolutely should because he's 21 years old. And this is not a situation like even a DJ Moore or Terry McLaurin where they've had these bad quarterbacks and you're like, oh my God, will it ever get fixed? But they're kind of old. No, there's a lot of time for this to get fixed. Uh, Marcus Mariota is almost assuredly not the quarterback for his entire future. If Arthur Smith continues to run this offense, I would wager against him being the coach for Drake London's entire tenure. And so is it Desmond Ritter? Probably not. More likely it's someone yet to be added in free agency or the draft or whoever. And at some point in time, they'll run an average offense. And even if they don't, the important thing to remember with these rookie wide receivers is that the market is very forgiving of situational uh, disadvantages for early rookie wide receivers. We talked about AJ Brown and nauseam where he was able to ascend all the way to wide receiver one overall in the market, despite uh, a very crappy situation in terms of the pass volume around him. People always think that we'll get better. They're optimistic. If Drake London becomes clear cut wide receiver three tier of his own behind Chase and Jefferson, maybe at that point, if the situation is still crappy, then we say, okay, the situation isn't priced in. Maybe we sell, but for now, no concerns. We're buying Drake London one, two. Oh yeah. I also have one, three. Why didn't we just choice. alternate? Why wouldn't we just alternate? Let's just alternate. You can have one. Let's three. just alternate. Let's just alternate. You can have it. Okay. I am going to select with the 103 pick in this far too late mock draft. I don't know what we would call this. Anyways, I'm going to select Flat Kenny Bullets. Kenny Bullets. 103. Hey, Kenny Pickett. There you go. New, 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 new. I do not want that, Kenny. I am taking Kenneth Walker the third with the 103 because, and the only reason is because he is the third, third of his name, and it fits with pick 103. And that is the end of my analysis on this. I'm kidding. Of course, I'm taking Kenneth Walker. He was my 103 pre-draft. He's gone out and been the, – the reason he was my 103 redraft, it, I think we talked about this already, but just to re, yeah. rehash if somebody is listening for the first time ever to the Sweat and Bullets Fantasy Football Podcast, the reason I wanted Kenneth Walker at 103 was not because I thought he had a tremendously high ceiling and was going to go out and win my league. The reason I wanted Kenneth Walker was because I thought he was a tremendously talented rusher of the football, and the masses do not appropriately – value players that do not have really high ceilings. See Nick Chubb. He does not have a super high ceiling. He's been wildly overvalued his entire career. You can look back at guys like Josh Jacobs and David Montgomery and early in their careers, players that don't catch passes still gain a ton of value if they are an impressive rusher. And make no mistake, Kenneth Walker appeared to be one of the best rushers in my process coming into the NFL. Now he's playing, he's rushing at a really high level. And that's what we love. There's always a chance that he might catch passes, in which case we would be very surprised and also very grateful to have him on our roster. Because if he catches passes and he's a phenomenal rusher, then he's just the whole, then he's just Brees Hall. Then he's Brees Hall, and we just hold. We hold for multiple championships. We have Brees Hall, we have Kenneth Walker, the pass catchers. Probably not going to happen, but uh, Kenneth Walker is going to be a very, very highly valued player come this time next year uh, or come next summer, I guess. 
and I'll probably be looking to move off of him at that point unless the uh, unless the pass catching really gives some indication that it's going to hold. The double counting of rookies is always fascinating to me. Like he was probably almost always going to get into the starting role at some point in time. Either Penny was going to falter or he was going to leave after this year or he was going to get hurt or something, right? I mean, I'll always come back to this because it's one of the best fantasy articles I think has ever been written. But uh, Ben Gretsch wrote an article called uh, Thoughts on Anti-Fragility. And he talked about how investing in rookies is often thought to be risky, but it's actually one of the safest investments because all sorts of externalities benefit them in the sense that they're uniquely resistant, sorry, highly drafted rookies, I should say, not like day three rookies, but highly drafted rookies are uniquely resistant to negative externalities in the sense of, you know, look at like a Travis Etienne, right? He broke his foot before he ever played a game. And here he is, you know, already playing a legitimate role in NFL offense. Very different versus a Rashad Penny, who may never be heard from again, quite possibly. Uh, Kenneth Walker benefits from positive things happening around him, like a Rashad Penny injury. And, you know, when it was the Walker who got hurt, what happened? He was set back, he missed a game. And then he was like instantly getting integrated into the offense right away because they're more resistant to bad things. They benefit more from good things. And that's what we're seeing with Walker. And yet the market is like, now he's a top five dynasty running back. And it's like, well, I don't think so. But it was inevitable. Uh, yeah. And, well, and it wasn't inevitable that he was good, but it was an inevitable that he would get a chance. Yes. And I think it was not inevitable it would happen this soon, for sure. No, uh, no. Like Rashad Penny breaking his leg. You know, it, it didn't look like Walker was going to be stealing the job anytime particularly soon. No. But this is the kind of thing that happens eventually, and he seems to be running away with it. It's it's just, it is fascinating that, like, he had 21 carries for 4.6 yards per carry. He wasn't graded particularly highly by PFF. He did have the fourth highest uh, rush yards over expectation per attempt, but he had the seventh lowest um percentage of rushes over expectation per attempt in the sense that basically he was really maximizing his good runs, but he was, in my opinion, just from watching the film, dancing way too much behind the line and causing negative plays that reflects in the stats. It kind of reminded me of Javante Williams where he like breaks a million tackles. Uh, He's electric out in space. He does need to clean up some things, but all of this is really secondary to the fact that, He's going to get a bunch of carries. He's going to do well. People are going to get super excited, probably too excited, unless the pass catching comes up. I agree, though. I think the market play, he should be the 103. I'm with you. So can we just take a quick time out and discuss that Ben Gretsch needs a better freaking title for his article? Thoughts on anti-fragility? Come on. That's a great That's a great article. No? It's a great article. It's a bad title. Thoughts gonna... on it? Like, that's not a title. I really hope that I didn't... Uh say the wrong title now that you brought you probably did because i know ben gretch would never do that he would have a oh, much better so title. i actually i did have the wrong title yeah but not by a lot it's actually some thoughts on anti-fragility oh my god ben gretch <laughs> come on man oh <laughs> that is awful come up with a better title little ben you got this i got faith in you wow the next so the next time you do this type of article this type this topic you will have a better title i know it some thought. I, I imagine Ben's listening in. I don't yeah. think Ben's listening. I'm quite certain he listens in every every episode. <laughs> Very certain he does not. <laughs> Do you know how how much time that man devotes to writing fantasy football content? I do not think he has a lot of time to be like, oh, we let's do a two hour podcast about Dynasty. No, this isn't two hours because we have to cut it short every every week for Matt. Sorry, Matt. 
Well, we're already an hour. We've gotten through three picks. Anyway, I agree with Ken Walker at one. Okay, go for, go go for four. Okay, I mean this well, is where it really starts for me. One four is a hard one. Uh, and, oh, and for the record, because I did not have Walker as my one hundred three prior, and I stand by that in two seconds. Was a mistake. Number one it was a huge mistake. Number one, like Walker's value did fall below the next two players on this list, and if Penny didn't break his leg, he would have continued below for another decent chunk of time. And we would have been able to buy in Kenneth Walker cheaper. We were able to buy in Kenneth Walker cheaper in the macro market. Uh, and also, gun to my head, would I rather have Kenneth Walker or these next two players for their entire career? I would rather have these next two players. And so that was like my default position. Cool. Right now, I'd rather have Walker. That's, that's not how we're doing it. No, that's, that's what I'm not saying. How Walker, ever Walker would be my 103 right now. Okay. So you but, made a huge mistake in rookie drafts. No, I think it's different. I think Walker, Walker would You're now be my one. Of course, correcting. I love it. Great Walker job. Walker would now be my one hundred three because Penny broke his leg. Yeah, yeah, inevitable. But I also think that I would entirely stand by who I actually had at one hundred three. I will now take that player at one hundred four, and it's Garrett Wilson. Um, I won't make the comparison between him and this other player because I don't want to you know, help you with picks, but we can talk about it after. But Garrett Wilson, to me, has been either the second or the third most impressive rookie wide receiver this year. Uh, he's been up at 0.246 targets per route run. That's not Drake London good, but it's really freaking good, especially when you consider these rookie wide receiver. And especially when you consider that there are at least two other NFL wide receivers on the roster with him in Corey Davis and in Elijah Moore. Uh, he has seemingly banished Elijah Moore from the framework of existence at this point, which is a pretty impressive feat because we thought that Elijah Moore was really good. And I still do think that he's at least still kind of good. It's very weird. Anyway, Terry Wilson's been fantastic. And he's the guy that I think you should really buy into right now because Zach Wilson is coming to the offense and everybody's like, Oh my God, Zach Wilson ruined this thing. And I think that people care more about the Zach Wilson thing than the Marcus Mariota thing, which makes sense because Mario is a starter for between like, two more weeks to the rest of the season, but almost certainly not long beyond that. Whereas Zach Wilson could presumably be Garrett Wilson's quarterback for life. What I would say is this, Garrett Wilson is young. He's 22 years old. If Zach Wilson is Garrett Wilson's quarterback in like two years from now, that means Zach Wilson is good and that you're happy that Zach Wilson is Garrett Wilson's quarterback, most likely. Uh, if Zach Wilson continues to play awful, then he will no longer be the Jets quarterback. I also say this, he is the highest rated quarterback from a clean passing grade uh, in the NFL right now, and his very tiny starts. So I do think there's a possibility that he actually is good, or that at least a segments of him are good. And the other thing that I've seen people say is, oh my God, they're running the ball so much more with Zach Wilson in charge. And that's a little bit true. They have gone a little bit more run heavy, but mostly they just stopped losing games by like four touchdowns. They were already uh, below expectation in pass rate, but they had by far the highest pass rate, or sorry, highest expected pass rate through the first four weeks. In terms of, like, when you talk about pass rate over expected, it's how much did you pass versus how much should you pass in that game script. The game script said you're passing more than for any other team in the NFL for four weeks. Now they've actually won some games. That's regressed a little bit. Uh, you know, I don't imagine that's going to be the occurrence every single week. They're not going to have defensive touchdowns every week. They'll have some more normal games. And I think that all of the concerns around Garrett Wilson, the number of routes that he's run the last couple of weeks, Zach Wilson, the pass rate, these are all like temporary rest of season concerns. And ultimately, I think there are some people that bought too high, in my opinion, on Garrett Wilson. For example, I was able to trade Garrett Wilson straight up for Brees Hall a couple weeks ago. Um, 
if you bought too high on Garrett Wilson thinking that he was going to be a wide receiver one for you the rest of this season, maybe you have some regrets um, because that's probably not the case. But I would definitely buy Garrett Wilson because I feel immensely confident that he will be a wide receiver two or better in Dynasty for a very long time. And he has about as good of a shot as you'd have a rookie have at this point in his career of being a top 12 wide receiver at some point. Yeah, so I'm I'm in on Wilson. I, he's also my 104 at this point. Uh, Garrett Wilson, I so just a quick background on Garrett Wilson. For me, he did not grade very well in my process. He was only a long shot grade. I had him ranked considerably higher than that. Uh, right after the draft, I had him at 104. Later, I ended up moving uh, someone else that we'll talk about later up ahead of him, which turned out to be a huge mistake. But uh, he was my 104 immediately after draft, my 105. Uh, shortly like a few months thereafter and the reason that my process didn't like him was because he basically sucked his final year except he didn't actually suck his final year what happened was he sat out and jackson smith the jigba or however you say his name yeah. went for like 300 yards in a your son which just tanked everything in Garrett Wilson's final season. And a 300-yard receiving game by another player means that the team passed for a ton of yardage, and I don't game adjust. My model or my process is not game adjusted. It's not per game. It is cumulative for the season. As far as I know, this has never really come up as an issue before other than with injured players where a player literally just sits out for one game and gets tanked. Actually, I, I take that back. LaVisca Chenault is another one that had the same thing happen, except he sat out one game with an injury, and his replacement went for like 200 yards that game and just threw all of his numbers out, out the window. And like he just missed the threshold. Same thing happened with Garrett Wilson, and that tanked him down to uh, not a great prospect. But he's a pretty good prospect. He entered college as a five-star recruit, immediately – he didn't like do really, really well as a freshman, but he did well enough and he played at Ohio, which is really friggin' hard school to play really well at as a freshman. But he played well enough and then he uh, was really good in his second year and then uh, was adequate in his third year. But then Jackson Smith just ruined everything. So anyway, I had him ranked well ahead of where I would have normally had a long shot ranked. I did not treat him as a long shot at all. And it caused a tremendous amount of confusion for the patrons. I probably answered the question as to why is this long shot Garrett Wilson ranked ahead of right. basically everyone except for Drake London? You should have said because he's good, bro. Okay. Uh, did you grind the film? Because that's why. Yeah. Grind the film. He's good, bro. All right. Uh, you're back up to 105. So I got 105. So I'm going to go ahead and take uh, my original 105, who had to move down because I moved Sky up foolishly. And my original 105 was Traylon Burks, and I'm oh. sticking with it. Oh, that's such a bad pick, but you're locked in. So I'm so happy I get the 106. Uh, it's a great pick. And Traylon Burks oh, is a very good player. He uh, comes out as a coin flip in my process. He's playing or was playing quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of routes and snaps as he headed into the injury uh, area <laughs> and now he's hurt but uh he'll be back at some point and we'll probably resume being pretty good and i don't love the ceiling but i think we're gonna get a pretty nice little value boost on him to end the season and go into the off season and then if it gets crazy i can get out of here and if not then i'll just hold on for one more year he'll play well enough to get out of next year so Trillenberg's is fine. And he's a great pick. He's, a, great pick. he's, he's, a, he's a good player. But like, to be honest, Traylon Burks, 
previously. Uh, I had him ranked above this next player, but I would certainly be adjusting that at this point because his other player is also a pretty good prospect, but he has been much, much better this year than Traylon Burks has. And in fact, he's probably been the second best rookie wide receiver on a per row basis. You, were gonna you could argue that he's been the best wide now. receiver um, on a per row basis by a well, lot. Um, a terrible pick. And Chris Olave. Oh my God. At 0.269 targets per route run. That's second only to Drake London among qualifying wide receivers. He has been at 2.56 yards per route run. That is by far the highest among qualifying wide receivers. The only ones higher are Jalen Naylor, Vilas Jones, and Wondell Robinson, who have all run less than 20 reps. Chris Olave has dominated. Uh, I, frankly, I'm somewhat at a loss of justification to take him over Garrett Wilson, except that I would say that the gap between them is small enough that I'm comfortable standing on priors with Wilson over Olave. Um, as well, I think that a lot of Olave's production, although not all of it, has come with Jarvis Landry either out or injured and Michael Thomas off the field versus Garrett Wilson has had to alpha two NFL wide receivers for every one of his games. That being said, what Olave has done is incredible. Uh, he is leading all rookies in air yards. Like I said, yards per route run and he's second in targets per route run with an elite figure. It's really hard to not feel extremely strongly that Chris Olave is going to be a top 24 wide receiver for a very long time. I think it's possible that they're stealing. Well, not possible. I think it's almost certainly that there's at their ceiling outcomes. Traylon Burks is, is higher than Chris Olave's, but at this point in time, we can like almost lock in that Chris Olave is a long-term wide receiver two or better in Dynasty, and he has a ceiling. I didn't think that he had that high of a ceiling uh, initially, but his play has showed that he does. And Traylon Burks, we still don't know yet, so you should definitely take Chris Olave over Traylon Burks, uh, and you should honestly consider taking Chris Olave. I would say in the same tier as as Drake London and Garrett Wilson. All of this is false. Uh, well, none of the things you said are actually false. He does have a very high targets per run. And blah, 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 blah. Uh, he is not a alpha wide receiver and probably never will be. He's beating zone at a very high rate. As far as I understand, I can't find the tweet because I didn't expect you to take him so soon. I would have had this prepared, but I'm quite certain I've seen that his Pretty much all of his yardage has come against zone, which leads me to believe that he is probably not a true alpha. In Are the you aware that NFL teams play like tons of zone now? Mostly yeah. play zone? Yeah. And most of the good wide receivers don't get all of their yardage against zone. And anyways, he he's fine. Like you're not you're not going to go broke drafting Chris Olave. That's for sure. Like he's a very safe prospect. He's like you said, probably a wide receiver too in fantasy. For a long time. Absolutely. No no qualms with that. I have a really hard time seeing him have a windfall value ceiling. And furthermore, I have a really hard time seeing him have a windfall production ceiling, which means you're just taking the floor here. And that's so unlike you. Like, it's like, when did you become a coward? Okay. Well, I think it's his market value is so high that I can take Chris Olave. And then if I want to, I could trade him for like Tyree Kill tomorrow. Like Stephon is it Diggs. that high? It doesn't feel that high. That's because you're you're stuck in the in the bunker. You're you're you're, 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 you're yeah you're in you're in uh, Plato's bunker. It's like a cave, oh, but it's just yeah. like the Canadian like sad version for for dynasty players that don't respect uh, Chris Olave. All right. Well, yeah, I uh, I have a hard time envisioning that anybody actually makes that trade. Maybe that, okay, maybe so we would have to add. So Chris Olave is just you could take Chris Olave, package him with a second, 
and you get yourself a Stefan Diggs. Chris Olave is almost identically equal to Tyreek Hill on Keep Trade Cut. All you would have to add, it says, to get uh, Tyreek Hill from Chris Olave is Denzel Mims. I'm not willing to give up Denzel Mims for that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's true. Or how about, how about this? Let's do this. Okay, um, no, you've convinced me. His value is outrageous. You and... can add a second to Chris Olave, according to Keep Trade Cut. Look, I don't, and I shouldn't say this because like, I'm using Keep Trade Cut as like a very like rough gauge. This is not like how Dynasty Leagues works. But theoretically, I think it's possible to take Chris Olave, add less than a first, and get Kyler Murray. That's completely outrageous. And you should do that. You should absolutely do that. So I would like to now point out that I would never take Traylon Burks over Chris Olave, knowing this fact that his value is outrageous. And that's great. He's so I want I want to do, I want to see before he got hurt. He was wide oh, receiver eleven. Okay, I, wanna, I, I do want to say this though. To be fair, like okay, I, I don't want us to just like make this mock draft like reading off the keep trade cut chart. So like no. right, okay. So I want to I want to say like. I'm taking in value to an extent, but I'm taking a value to like a tiebreaker scenario. Like I think in this case, like I actually would be entirely content holding Chris Olave over Traylon Burks for the rest of their careers in the sense that I think that Chris Olave's floor is so much more secured. We're not that good at being able to project ceiling that I would just rather bet on Olave um, than Burks at this point. That being said, I'm not just doing it because of the KTC value. Like, I think that would just be bad. Um, and also that would mean that we should be drafting like Damian Pierce by now. And I, I don't think that that's like actionable information to just like sort by KTC value. Basically what I'm saying is, is what I'm actually saying is Olave has already shown enough that he A, has a floor for your actual team and B, has secured a value floor going into the off season. Burks, if he comes back from injury and sucks, has not secured that value for. And that's the difference, not just their current KTC price. But Burks isn't going to come back and suck. Like, I don't on. think he will. I'm just saying it's possible. I'm saying Chris Olave could tear his ACL tomorrow. He's still going to have a lot of value because he's already impossible. shown. It's virtually impossible for Traylon Burks to suck. Virtually impossible? Wouldn't you say it's like a coin flip? I've heard that he was in a tier say of his own. Coin flip? I've heard he was in a tier of his own. Anyways, I'm up again, and I am going to take the one that you should have taken, which is George Pickens, because of course you should. I don't know if you've seen the image of him staring at the television from like three feet away, wearing what I can only describe as like chainmail. I don't know what the hell that thing was he was wearing, but I love it. Reminds me of like a knight. What was that? What was he wearing? It looked like it was like a like a like a like a cap. Like I don't know. It's like a it's like a balaclava or something like that. I was going to say balaclava, but I know it's not. And I also know that I nobody in America will Only like in Canada, people wear those. <laughs> yes. Of course, we're two Canadians thinking of the word balaclava. Anyways, anyway. I'm, I'm taking George Pickens because A, he was a fantastic prospect. Uh, he came out in, he was a five-star recruit who dominated from day one at Georgia, a like national championship winning program. Uh, that's really hard to do. He then had a uh, reasonably good second year. It wasn't great. He didn't shoot the lights or anything, but he was okay. He did enough. Maybe that's the way to put it. And it was actually like a tale of two seasons. He had, I forget the first quarterback. The first quarterback was horrible. Uh, I think it was JT Daniels, wasn't it? No, that was the second quarterback. He came in about halfway through the year and oh. saved George Pickens' season. And then I think Daniels sucked after that. But he yeah. was good for like – and like by good, we're talking about better than the prior quarterback who was atrocious. 
So like is a really low bar to say that JT Daniels was good. Anyways, he saved George Pickens season, saved his grade in my process because then George Pickens tore his ACL and it was basically over for his junior year. He came back with like, I don't know, the playoffs maybe. Oh, that was, was original like, Stetson Bennett, right? It started with Bennett yeah, and then yeah. it went to Daniels, but then Bennett yeah. took back over the next year and now it's Bennett and he's good now, but yeah. he used to be bad. Yeah, It was probably George Pickens' fault. He was, he was far too alpha for Stetson to deal with. Yeah. Anyways, Pickens came came back. He caught like a fantastic catch. Was that the national championship? He caught that like diving deep ball. Yeah, that was like, the only over catch, but it was nice. Yeah, was that's kind of the Pickens thing, right? He doesn't earn a lot of targets. He doesn't like produce a lot, but he has really cool catches when they happen. It's kind of like Gabe yeah. Davis actually gets quite a lot of targets. In fact, well, it doesn't actually because that's that's why George Pickens is a bad pick. George Pickens never had a twenty percent target share in college, uh, and he has a seventeen percent targets per route run um, so far. In the NFL, which is adequate, it's not. It's not terrible. It's certainly not like to the stage where I would be like, "Oh my God, I'm worried about George Pickens." I'm not worried about George Pickens. Uh, I think he's probably on track. He's playing a lot and he's producing adequately, but his target per run is not particularly special. Uh, it's below Traylon Brooks by good amount. It's below Alec Pierce. Uh, it is below Romeo Dubs. Um, it's above John Dotson. Um, it's actually below Christian Watson's. Uh, and so I would say that George Pickens is, is fine. He's on track. But I viewed Pickens as like a kind of boom-bust weekly guy and not a guy that necessarily would ever command a lot of volume in an offense. And while I think that if you thought that he was going to be that, there's no reason to say that he can't be after his early games, I also don't think that there is a reason to meaningfully shift your view if you were not quite as high on George Pickens. So I was the... Low. This is probably the player we disagreed about the most. Um, yeah, you were dead wrong about him. In the and, and I process. feel pretty, pretty, pretty a okay about my stance on George Pickens. D- dead wrong in the pre-draft process. Dead wrong after the draft. Very dead wrong in the, the pre-draft process. Still correct there. now. You're yeah. saying he doesn't earn a lot of targets. His last four games: mm-hmm. seven, eight, eight, six. That's a lot. Oh, of we're just we're just counting targets now. We're not doing like. We're not doing target share. We're not doing targets per round. I don't know run. what we're it just is. Counting them. A lot, like seven of three. That's targets. pretty good. What's seven out of thirty? Uh that's about twenty-three percent, something like that. That was probably that's his best a lot. game. That's that was his best targets? game. Yeah, it's pretty good. And then we got eight out of twenty-two. That seems like a lot. Well, that's a that's lot. That was a really good game. Yeah, that was a very good game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he had eight out of forty-six. I mean, nobody can dominate them all. Yeah. It's not like he's playing with nobody. He's playing with freaking Deontay Johnson, who gets all the targets that's and has true. for years. That's true, he does. And and he has to share with Chase Claypool still. Even yep. his last game, he had 21 targets per route run. Like the, the dude is good. He's he's his first two games were weak. That's normal. Have you seen Justin Jefferson's first two games in the NFL? Yeah, well, he got alphaed by BC Johnson. Yeah. 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 We gotta give this guy some time. He dominated in Georgia. He dominated Georgia again. Well, and he, then he dominated Georgia. He, he dominated. It's fine. It's adequate. He dominated. He broke out at he's, 18. Yeah, barely. Yeah. He broke out well, you know, barely. Now, now the degree of the breakout counts? It counts a little. Does it count at all? 18.5 breakout. According to Player Profiler, you probably heard of it. 96th percentile breakout age. Drafted yeah, in the true. second round by a team that only ever drafts good by receivers, except for if yeah. you look at the whole... Sammy Coates like, says hello. If you yeah, look J- at the whole bucket of Pittsburgh Steelers wide receivers they've drafted, that is completely false. They actually draft all the wide receivers, <laughs> and then by well. proxy of volume, they... Get some good ones. It's kind of <laughs> wild, actually. Now we have Chase Claypool rumors. He's getting traded to possibly 
the Green Bay Packers. I'm really excited about that because that will mean that George Pickens is now unquestionably the number two in this Kenny Pickett-led offense. And we know that Kenny Pickett is a stud. He probably even called his own like adjustments at the line. We're not sure. Can never be too certain how much he did or did not. And also, if that matters at all, probably not. But uh, anyways, I'm taking George Pickens because the dude's really good. He's he. Look at the picture. He's obviously an alpha. Just look at him staring. Well, he's at the definitely TV. an alpha human. Yeah. He's, he's an alpha human. Yeah. I want him. I like I like Pickens. Um, but that's not the pick I would have made. The pick I would have made uh, is the pick I'll make at one eight. And I'm gonna H O D L. Um, like everybody in the patron Discord has been having a little, have a little pants pissing contest to see who can be most panicked about Sky Moore. And I'm here to tell you that I'm not at all panicked about Sky Moore. Uh, would you like to know where Sky Moore ranks among rookies who have ran at least, uh, at least 25 routes this year? I'll set it really low. Has Sky Moore run 25 routes this year? <laughs> yes. Yeah, he has. Well, I was actually going to set it at 50, but he's ran 49, so I had to, <laughs> had to go lower. But then I was then I was going to be like at least 49. But then I was like, that's a pretty arbitrary cutoff. So then I decided to cut <laughs> that's out 25. Excellent cherry pick. Do that. <laughs> yeah. So among among players who have actually I'll do 24 routes because he wears 24. Um, among players who have run at least 24 routes. routes. Sorry? Why 24? 24. Oh, that makes sense. Um, among players who have run at least 24 routes. There's no player that has run 24 routes. So it's the exact oh. same sample as the players that have run 25 routes. Um, uh, Sky Moore ranks uh, third in yards per route run. He's at 2.04. Historically, players who have over two yards mm. per route run a year absolutely crush. Um, so it is currently just Olave, London, and Sky Moore. Now, obviously... 49 routes is nowhere near enough of a spool to draw on. But the point is, is that when he's played, it's not like he's been bad. Like he just hasn't played that much. But when he does play, he's been totally fine. His targets per route run is 0.205. That's like right in the same range as Romeo Dubs and Traylon Burks. It's definitely behind Wilson, Lave, and London. Um, but it is ahead of Pickens. Oh. <laughs> and it is ahead of Dotson. And so anyway, like I get it. Would I trade the start that Sky Moore had for the start that George Pickens had, where he was like minorly worse in targets per route run and had a lot less yards per route run, but actually played all the snaps? Yeah, absolutely. Do I think that it's like just as easy as all of a sudden Sky Moore plays all the snaps and his targets per route run and yards per route run just don't change at all? Probably not. But my point is, is that it's not like he's not playing and then he's being bad. He's not playing that much, but he is playing. Like the first two games, he like first three games, he didn't play at all. The next three games, he's playing. He's running about 25% of the routes. That's not as much as we want to see. You can't use him in fantasy, but he's being integrated into the offense. He is running just over half as many routes as Michael Hardman. He's getting integrated into the offense. He's even getting integrated in comeback mode drives, like crucial drives. He was the target, of course, on Patrick Mahomes' interception. Uh, he was the first read on that play. He didn't really do anything wrong. Matt Milano just played well in coverage and then uh, the safety made a play. Um, but he had two crucial plays on the Chiefs uh, comeback drive against the Raiders as well, um, including a design screen for Sky Moore. So he's a part of their offense. One more week, and then it's the bye. And we know that historically, rookies post-bye week tend to see an uptick in their involvement. This is also a team that just simply has not gotten that much out of their wide receivers. He leads every Chief wide receiver in targets per route run and yards per route run. Um, 
He's earning targets at a higher rate and being more efficient on them than Juju Smith-Schuster, Marcus Holtz-Scantling with Cole Hardman. MVS has not been effective this year. Juju, up until this last week, had not been effective this year. And specifically, they don't have wide receivers that can separate from man coverage. Sky Moore is their best separator. I think he's a guy that they need to get more involved. I think he will get more involved after the bye week. And if he's able to simply just play the way he's been playing on more routes, he's going to be A-OK. And then all of a sudden, people are going to remember all the incredible things of why they were so excited about Sky Moore, which was his incredible prospect profile, where he's a bulletproof wide receiver, an early declare wide receiver, that he plays in the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. And the best thing is, is that all of that is still within reach because he has been good when he's played and because all the wide receivers ahead of him have sucked. So there's no reason to think that if Sky Moore is good, that he can't immediately become the alpha on this Chiefs offense. Well, Kelsey's the alpha, but the alpha of the Chiefs wide receiver room. And if you become the alpha of the Chiefs wide receiver room, or at least you show enough to think that people think you can be going into 2023, you're going to be super valuable in honesty because it's the Kansas City freaking Chiefs. And so point is, Sky Moore was good. He's still good. He's going to be good. He's going to be highly valued. And if you can still buy him before the conclusion of his bye week, I would really, really want to. Um, this is one that I'm doubling down on. If he continues to play this little route the entire year, I totally get the skepticism. He probably won't even hit the 200 route threshold. But I really think that he's going to get more involved after the bye. He should get more involved after the bye. He's added an element to their offense they don't have. I'm in on Sky. Yeah, I, so I had Sky ranked coming out of the rookie draft, or coming out of the NFL draft at 106, which is pretty high. Uh, and then in August, I think it was, I was like, you know what? I think I was too low on Sky. He's got an excellent profile. He's like all the things you just said. He's with Patrick Mahomes. The value is basically secure. People are going to get crazy if he's any good at all because he's playing with Patrick Mahomes. We've even seen Patrick Mahomes like keep the Michael Hardman hype up despite Michael Hardman being a terrible prospect and then doing nothing for several years. So I just feel like there's a lot of potential here for Sky Moore's value insulation. And then if he actually is good, well, he's playing with Patrick Mahomes, so that's pretty exciting. So I ended up moving up to uh, 104 ahead of Garrett Wilson and Traylon Burks. Thus far, that looks like a huge mistake, but as you've alluded to, uh, it's not over yet. And I actually probably wouldn't have taken Sky quite yet. Uh, I'm going to go with one of my favorites. This was like one of my draft day favorites. I, I could not stop talking about how great he was. I'm going to take Damian Pierce because I just loved him pre-draft. I loved him after the draft. I'm lying through my teeth. I did not like Damian Pierce at all. I went on Twitter and said, Damian Pierce is awful. I went on Twitter and said, anybody who's buying Damian Pierce is an idiot. I went on Twitter and said, haha, all these Pierce idiots traded their Bijan, Bijan Robinsons for Damian Pierce after training camp and prior to week one. And then he was terrible. And I, I celebrated in the streets. I danced on his grave. And then he came back and was pretty good after that. <laughs> and he's, he's been solid. He's scoring, I forget, somewhere around 15 points per game, if I recall correctly. Really I don't good. really see any reason that that's not going to continue at this juncture. There's really no, nobody nothing. else in the team that is going to challenge him. There's really no point in the Texans bringing in anyone in season to challenge him. So I just think he's probably just going to keep scoring at like 15 points per game. And because the masses really like their day three running backs that look great on film and are just scoring lots of points. I think he's going to be super valuable. I'm going to cash out in the off season. That is my point. Yeah. 
I'm with you on Pierce. I, I drafted a lot more Pierce than you. I did sell some in the summer, but I still have, uh, I think, four shares of Pierce in Associated Leagues. And I've reached the point now where I'm no longer actually interested in, in selling um, for this year. To be clear, I will be selling in the offseason. But I've now been around like Literally, block. week 18, Sunday yeah. is over. I'm putting Damien Pierce on the block. Like I've like now been around the block long enough to know that that the market doesn't view these guys as the short-term assets that they should. Like they will stay in on the Michael Carter. They will stay in on the Eli Mitchell. They will stay in on the James Robinson all off season. Mm-hmm. And so right up until or, they draft Brees Hall and Travis Etienne, which by right. the way is like, we don't get a lot of these day three running backs that like pop for an entire season, like Elijah Moore and or uh, Elijah Mitchell and James Robinson and uh, Michael Carter, Michael Carter. Where they, they have like pretty good like entire season, and then like Carter's wasn't as good as the other two, but the other two had really good entire seasons, and then we like immediately see them get replaced. Like it's not like oh they gave him another chance and then they they blew it. Like literally the next season hits and they're like yeah we need a real running back in here. Like I'm not waiting to the draft to hope that I get another value boost by them not taking someone. The risk of them taking someone and or signing a veteran to come in and and share the load or take the load is just way too great. And here's the thing with Pierce, like I would consider taking the risk. Like if you think about it, right. I said this before, the two guys that you would have really, really regretted not holding out of this archetype would be the Austin Eckler, the Aaron Jones. And they didn't even actually come together as rookies. It's not even really a perfect analogy, but in terms of these day three guys that came on the scene and then stuck, like these are elite pass catching upside guys. With Damian Pierce, he's not, right? Like, he might be a serviceable pass catcher, but his comparative advantages at the running back position are just not the ones that create elite fantasy value, and they're not the ones that, frankly, coaches value enough to not replace or shrink their role, right? Like, he's a really good tackle breaker. He gets what's blocked. He's a good runner, but he's not that elite game breaker, and he's not the pass catcher. And so eventually some team is going to bring in a compliment. Like, do I think it's likely that he will simply get replaced the 2023 draft? I, I don't Like, I, I don't think that's what the Texans should do. I don't think it's what the Texans will do necessarily if I'm placing a bet, but I certainly think it's what the Texans could do because that is what teams tend to do with these day three running backs is they tend to eventually replace them either immediately or in a couple of years. And it's not worth the risk for what I still think he's kind of already maxed out on the ceiling. So yeah, I think it's a good pick now. I consider taking him at the last pick because he, he's clearly worth Sky, more than Skymore today. This is where I'm kind of suspending disbelief on like a little bit in the sense that I'm I'm taking out the element of like that. You can just go trade him for Skymore plus a second literally after the draft because that would be boring. My my concern is that I think the Skymore breakout could come quickly. I think it come right after the bye week. And if it does come quickly to the point where you know, a, 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 some Sky Moore owner out there wouldn't sell him for Damian Pierce, then I would just so much rather have Sky Moore that I wanted to make sure to secure Sky ahead of Pierce. But I do think it's fair to have Pierce the next guy because uh, he is a really safe bet for the rest of the season, right? So I'm not selling him for the rest of the season. I will sell him in winter, is, is my plan with my Damian Pierce shares. But for now, I'm enjoying the 15 again. And I, I will, I will maybe like backtrack a little bit on that because if I'm on a rebuilding team though, like we talked about earlier, I'm selling them a rebuilding team. I'm talking about like, I'm like one of my actual teams that are awesome and like steamrolling through the, the season. I'm not selling them on one of those teams because I still want his points and I'm going to get out. Like if he gets hurt, big deal. Like 
yeah. his points are worth more to me than the slight dip in product or dip in value that we're going to see by the end of the season. But I want a rebuilding team. Like he's out of here today. I'm not, oh, I'm not. God, yeah. I'm not taking that risk. Yeah. Get out of here, buddy. Um, certainly there will be some teams that will say that they want to build around Damian Pierce, um, which not good. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, but no, he's good. He's good. And he'll be good the rest of the season. Um, my next pick uh, is, I think, a pretty easy one, actually. Although maybe there's one other contender for it. Well, actually, two other contenders for it. But my next pick, which is now at the 110, is Jameson Williams. Uh, Jameson Williams was commonly going in the 1617. It's not surprising through no fault of his own that he's been usurped by a couple of players since then, just by virtue of that he wasn't playing <laughs> other players out. Um, and I think maybe that's an argument why, you know, maybe you should have taken other players other than Jameson Williams. You'd have the opportunity for that immediate bump. That being said, Jameson Williams' opportunity for his immediate bump is seemingly right around the corner. Uh, it is expected that he will probably play within the month. Uh, and then we'll get a little bit of a look at him. I do think that you get a unique opportunity with Jameson Williams where I expect the market to be very forgiving if he does almost nothing in the sense that he is coming off a torn ACL. He's probably only going to play six to eight weeks the regular season. I think it's almost virtually impossible for him to face plant because I think that the expectations will be really held in check for him and he's going to be afforded a lot of excuses by the market. So one of the things that I do like about targeting James Williams right now in trades or even if drafting him in the rookie draft is that I think that he has one of the most secure value floors of any rookie because of the unique circumstances surrounding his injury to the extent that I don't think that you're really facing that much face plant risk there. And there's always a chance he's just going to come in and be really good. And then, you know, you get all the value upside that you get a normal rookie without that added risk. As for his profile, it was okay to me. Um, you know, he basically did nothing for two years. And then he broke out at Alabama in year three. And it was kind of Pickens-esque in the sense that he didn't really do it with dominating a whole lot of volume. Um, he was a really efficient downfield wide receiver. I think the modal outcome is that he's a player who, you know, many film people thought was the clear wide receiver one of this class before he got hurt. And that may be the case in terms of his impact with an NFL team. I, I don't necessarily think he's going to be a fantasy wide receiver one. I think that his ceiling looks more like a Deshaun Jackson type career. But I also think that, again, this is almost like the Ken Walker situation, but a wide receiver where he might not have that room for growth as a target earner, but if he flashes and people really liked him as a player, as an NFL player, then you might be able to resell, you know, at a value where you're like, I don't really think that he can ascend necessarily to this elite status, but I'm going to sell him off some 16% targets per route run with two yards per route run because he caught a few bombs and he looks really fast and he looks awesome. And so at this point in the draft, I think I'm being a value bet. I think he's a strong value bet. Yeah, I don't mind uh, Jamison here. I, I I wouldn't have taken Jamison. So I guess what I'm trying to say is you made an enormous mistake, catastrophic, in fact. I think Jamison, yeah, everything you said is pretty much bang on. Like he's got a really safe floor because he's already injured. Everybody knew that coming in. He was already valued as though he was injured. He's still injured, of course. And we'll probably get a little bump uh, when he gets back. And then we'll probably not care if he's bad because he's coming off an ACL injury. So it's just kind of like, whatever. He's really safe. And if he comes back and he's awesome, then he's going to go to the damn moon. So Right. Like, I just think it's a free thing. look. It's like, at worst case yeah. scenario, you're probably going to be able to sell him at like late one value. And best case scenario, he's going to the moon. Simple, super simple reroll if you would like to do so. Yeah. And if he's great, then maybe hold on. 
Anyways, I probably went with Kenny Pickett here because Kenny Pickett's already playing football and Kenny Pickett is now injured. <laughs> but uh, he was already playing football. For sure. Uh, which was a little earlier than I expected. I thought we'd see him kind of uh, around week 10 or so. Like I thought the Steelers would kind of tread water and then, you know, they lose a few games and fall a little out of the playoff race. And then we'd see Kenny Pickett. We saw him earlier than I expected. Uh, he'll come back as soon as he's healthy again, which I th- believe it's only a concussion. So it's probably only a week or two, unless it's super serious, which probably is not the case. He didn't look super serious. I don't think anybody no, said anything. Already said he's going to practice in fall and he will start this week if he uh, well, passes the protocol. So he's well, probably starting this week or next. Yeah. So he's going to be back right away. I think uh, we're like, Kenny Pickett is kind of again, like a really safe quarterback right now because he's a rookie and he's a first-round pick and he plays for the Steelers. And if you're a rookie and a first-round pick and you play for the Steelers, you're probably going to win some games. Not maybe Like maybe you don't win 10 games this year, probably not, but you're probably going to win some games and people are going to look and be like, oh, like QB wins. Like he's, he's a 500 quarterback as a rookie. That's great. QB wins, love it. And then he's still got some really good weapons to throw to in Deontay Johnson and the previously mentioned excellent wide receiver, George Pickens. Uh, I don't know if you saw that catch where he's like falling over backwards. I'm like, that was amazing. Dude's dude's so good. And anyways, and then he also has Chase Claypool. So like, there's a lot of weapons here for him. Yeah. And yeah, Pat Freemuth and uh, uh, I don't know. Is it worth even mentioning Najee Harris? Like he's more or less a weapon. He's, he's no weapon. He's more so like, like a blunt object. They tie your foot. They have to carry around. He's he's like a, a heavy blunt object. That's basically what he yeah. is. So anyways, I, I think Pickett's probably going to be like okay this year. And we can uh, probably cash out next year if it doesn't look great. He didn't rush as much as I kind of thought he would. Like I thought he'd be running for his life a little bit because I didn't think he was a very good actual quarterback. I still don't think he's a very good actual quarterback. I think there's really no excitement here from a – hold forever standpoint but i think there is a pretty reasonable uh hype situation next year in the off in training camp in particular where people are talking about how he's taking a year to leap and then we're looking at these weapons again and we get all excited because that was like coming into last year's rookie draft pardon me last year's nfl draft people were saying well i want the quarterback that pittsburgh takes like, i don't care who it is right. Look at the weapons. Like, I just want that quarterback. And we're going to have that same kind of uh, vibe coming in training camp next year where the masses are looking and seeing the beat reports saying, Kenny Pickett is a brand new man. Oh, and you know they'll be good because no no beat reporters homer their own team like Pittsburgh. No, it's going to be great. Like, I don't know if you know this, but George Pickens was basically Hall of Fame bound in training camp last year. So they pumped up Mason Rudolph for like four they years. Pumped up Mason Rudolph. <laughs> was was it mason rudolph that was a starter on you know all but 10 teams or something per beat reporters last year was that him yeah Yeah. so like we're gonna get a ton of hype on kenny pickett next year i'm not selling at the end of the season i'm not selling at the rookie draft i'm selling in training camp when we get that hype hype wave rolling so that's what i'm taking kenny pickett that's a good call and i agree i think that his um the chances that he's a guy that you want to hold long term are it's what I call an angel in the outfield. Do you know the movie Angels in the Outfield? Oh yeah, of course. So you know the ceiling where um uh, I forget which one of the kids. I don't know, but he's like, it could happen. And that's like oh, yeah, basically yeah. like so anyway, I always call it I, an angel I literally in the post that meme all the time. 
Oh, awesome. So I, I call him the angel in the outfield when it's like the yeah. only way this person is a difference maker is just like the basis of general variance. So it's like, yeah, it's like Gabriel happen, Davis. It could happen. Yeah, it's exactly like Gabriel Davis. I mean, yeah, I, I like that was literally the same thing. I said the chances that Gabriel Davis is like a, an elite target earner is an angel in the outfield. Yeah. But the chances the that chances he just like that... scores as a top 24 wide receiver on an 18% target share is like really high. The chances are that Gabriel Davis has an angel on the outfield helping him reel in these 22 yards per reception is extraordinarily high. It's the only explanation for this. We will not be derailing the show. But anyway, yeah. I'm, well, I'm, Matt, I'm we're sorry. That's Jacob's fault. Okay, this is my last pick of the first round, and it's the last pick that we'll be explaining in detail. I have the 112. And this, this is really close for me, by the way. I'm not even sure who to take here. So you're probably going to make the wrong choice. So just make the right one instead. Okay. So there's like a, there's a fun pick and then there's another fun pick and there's a really boring pick. Oh. <laughs> and I'm going to just take the really boring pick. Oh my God. Uh, I'm going to take Jahan Dotson. Uh, boring. Um, Jahan Dotson hasn't actually been any good this year. Can, can you just say that he has a nose for the end zone just to keep, keep the masses happy? Look, Jahan Dotson, I don't care what you say on your spreadsheet. That guy just has a nose for the end zone. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, Jahan Dotson, contrary to popular opinion, has actually been pretty shitty this year. Uh, he has a 12% targets per route run. He has a 0.96 yards per route run. And the idea that he's had a really good start to the year is based on two things. Number one, they let him run every single route. Uh, basically, since he started with the team, um, which is like in itself pretty impressive because even first round picks don't usually run every single route from week one. Garrett Wilson, even Jalen Burks doesn't. He certainly did not. That's true. Um, so that's that's impressive in a sense. And I will say this: like you just mentioned with George Pickens, who also ran basically every route from from week one, you were like, oh, like you know this guy. Ricky said to start out kind of slow, right? And I think there's something to be said for Jahan Dawson was running so many routes early and when you already start kind of slow and he does have two other competent wide receivers next to him in, in Terry McCord and Curtis Samuel that's not that shocking that he kind of looks like a wind sprinter um for the first month or so anyway so I don't think that Jahan Dawson is like bad and sucks or anything but I definitely think that his value got quickly overinflated and I was really mad that he got hurt because I have a lot of Dawson because I thought that he was undervalued during the rookie draft process and I was excited to sell all of it, and I only sold a couple, uh, and then he got hurt, and that was a big bummer. So I'm hoping that he comes back and he can continue with his nose for the end zone, or maybe he'll just actually be good. Who knows? It's definitely possible. Uh, but at this point, I think there's some other fun bets that I actually think might be better players, but I guess what I would say is that at this point, Jahan Dotson is a rookie who played snaps from the jump, and he scored some touchdowns, and he has some fantasy points. And I think it's pretty unlikely that he face plants. And so I'm pretty comfortable just riding the value wave on Jahan Dawson and whatever he eventually buys me in the offseason. And of course, I also take the chance that he angels in the outfields for the rest of the, the rest of the season. And he's actually a good target earner. Is that how you would have taken? I don't know. That was such a boring pick. No, I wouldn't have taken him. I mean, I like if I could take him and flip him tomorrow, then sure, I'd have taken him because he's valued way higher than everyone else, basically, at this point. If I had to take a player that I would actually like to roster, 
for more than a singular day, I would take Wandale Robinson, who is specifically who I will take right now. Okay, so now we're in this round two. So at this point in time, we're talking like 30-second blurbs. Okay. Um, so, so you're on the clock. You've got Wandale I'm Robinson. Going to which does, to... First of all, it's just a misappropriation of my brand to take my favorite player, who I was famously higher on than like everyone else in the universe. You were higher on him than I was. Gosh. I definitely was higher on Wandale Robinson. Oh, how high did you have him ranked? I had him ranked at the 2-1. I had him at 111. Get out of here. I'm the highest okay, on Wandell Robinson in the, in the world. I mean, I'm like, I was like the Wandell guy from like the fall. So I was the one that was like, he's going to get the draft capital. Just wait. Um, you were the Wandell guy when he was supposed to go on day three. You were like, Wandell. And then he got on day two. And I said, Wandell. And now <laughs> I am you the actually had, You actually had him at the 111? Yeah, 111. I mean, I had... Whatever. This is all this is all without a purpose because we were both like so far over the market on him that we were obviously just like taking him at yeah. his ADP. If if you are a member of the Patreon or or in any way like, you follow us on Twitter of or anything, you're you're definitely rostering a lot of one. <laughs> yeah, if you if you like, care at all about what Drew says or what I say or what like anyone in the Discord <laughs> says, you are a majority shareholder in one tail for sure. So like what I'm gonna I'm just gonna lean into Jacob's favorite thing here, which is small samples. Loves them, small sample, high efficiency. I don't know if you know this yet. Wandale Robinson has run 14 routes, and on those 14 routes this season, the entire season, he is a 35.7% target rate, which is just fantastic. So give me give me all the Wandale. He's gonna be great. He's he's a bulletproof prospect. He's the worst bulletproof prospect, maybe in the history of KJ Hamler exists. No, KJ Hamler is a better prospect than than Wandale. Get no, out of here. are you kidding me? No. Okay, why? Because Wandale is supposed to be a fourth round pick, fifth round pick. He's supposed to be day three. KJ oh, Hamler is actually that. getting mocked in the second round. He okay, went. I, was, I, thought, I thought you were talking like production because like Wandale is actually like a really productive prospect. Like, in, in terms of just looking at the production among bulletproof prospects, he's actually one of the most productive. Yeah, but I don't care because they just have to cross the threshold. I don't like the magnitude of how far across the threshold they're at has more to do with which school they played at than whether or not they're actually good. Like but Wandale played in the SEC. Where's Penn State? Are they not in the SEC? They're in the Big Ten. Okay, well then I don't care because they're but in the Wandale Big Ten. It played, matter. Wandale played in both the Big Ten and the SEC. Yeah. Great. Good for him. He's a fucking running back for half his career. And he still passed the receiving thresholds yeah, of a wide he's receiver a as a running back. And if he was being mocked by the masses as a round two or even round three pick, I would have felt a lot more comfortable with Wandale coming into the season, coming into the draft anyway. It doesn't really matter. I had him higher than you did, so get out of here. I am the Wandale truther on the podcast. Mm-hmm. This is supposed to take 30 seconds. You keep interrupting about how you are the Wandale truther when I am clearly the Wandale truther. It's it's written in stone at this point. It's it's on our it will be on our gravestones. You were the second most Wandale Robinson truther in rookie drafts. I was the first most, and uh Wandale's my dude. I had him at 111. I probably still would have taken him at 112. Uh, the only couple of guys I would have taken ahead of him that I didn't have ranked ahead of him were uh, Kenny Pickett and was that running back that I don't like? Did Damian Pierce? I would James I would Cook. Definitely get out of here. I, James oh, Cook. you're saying now? Oh, you're saying now? I thought you were saying you would yeah. have taken Pierce over him at the time. I was like, oh, hell certainly no. would not have. No, I mean in this redraft, like the only guys okay. I moved ahead of him now are like Pierce and I think maybe Pickett. Okay, okay. I'd pick it right in the same range. I think I think I'd pick it a little lower. Let me just pull that back up. Uh, Pickett, I had... It's all good. 
where the hell is Kenny Pickett? Yeah, oh yeah, I'm at two oh two. So I, I moved Pickett up. I moved uh, the other dude up. Uh, bad running back, day three, whatever Texans guy. Anyways, I'm taking Wandale. He's my dude. Let's go. You're up. All right, I'm in on the Wandale thing. I talked about him a lot in the week six slots. So if you're a bullproof patron, you want my thoughts on Wandale? It's great. I also included a cut up of each of his targets. That and the most you would like to see the film. And the most encouraging. Well, I wanted to, what I wanted to see is was it like four jet sweeps, um, or did he get real targets? And he got real targets. They were like yeah. down the, like they were like intermediate targets. Like they weren't just like and because. I've talked about this before, but essentially, if a player plays partial routes and all of their targets are like screen passes, then what I'm saying is like you should have no expectation they should scale because that's how many screen passes they're calling. They're on the plays for those fields. We have no idea if that scales upward. I still have no idea if it scales upward. I mean, it's probably not going to have a 35% target share. But the point is, is like he got real wide receiver targets. So there's no like particular reason why those can't scale upward. Uh, it wasn't like they just gave him a bunch of tap passes. And then we also know that they're probably going to give him a bunch of tap passes. So as his role continues to grow, and he starts also getting gadgety passes, and if he's just a good wide receiver, I mean, I'm like so excited. Let's do this. Well, it's too bad you weren't high enough on him in rookie drafts. Sorry. Yeah, um, yeah he, is my most, he was my most drafted rookie, for the record. Um, and then uh, my next guy, um, easy pick. Should I? Yeah, go um, ahead. Yeah, we're taking Romeo Dubs. We're gonna throw up the Dubs. Um, oh my god, you're taking Romeo Dubs already? I you almost took him one twelve. I was gonna, I was gonna take him over Wanda. I, I was almost gonna take him over Dotson at the one twelve. Oh my god, that's madness. Um, Romeo Dubs, twenty percent targets per route run. Uh, he started off pretty efficient. That has sure tailed off. He turned nine targets into twenty one yards yesterday. Um, I have not yet reviewed the film, so I can't say how much of that was his fault, but point is he's getting volume he's getting more targets per route run than alan lazard uh he is playing basically all the routes as alan lazard and he plays with aaron Rodgers. and i think that this packers offense is probably going to get better sooner than later because aaron Rodgers is very good and he's adjusting to his new wide receiver group i i said this about dubs in the week six thoughts which is that essentially the reason why i was pretty open to buying in on him as soon as he got this role was that we kind of would get a free look, right? Just by virtue of him having this role, he's going to have a few spike games and people are going to be really excited because he plays with Rodgers. And so at worst, I think his value holds where it is. And at best, if he actually starts getting more efficiency, if he actually starts earning more targets per route, to the point where like, oh my God, this guy's a player, then you actually want to hold him long-term. I think if he just plateaus where he is, like 20% targets per route run and not actually that efficient, then what I'll say is he's probably just like a pretty mediocre like player who was better than their worst players than him. Um, and so he got an opportunity that he somewhat-ish took advantage of, and then I will definitely sell him in the offseason. But I also think it's possible because, actually, I, I wouldn't even say that. I think his chance is like better than an Angels in the outfield chance of being actually good. Uh, and if he is, then we get to hold a potential wide receiver one for Aaron Rodgers. So I think uh, that's, that's a pretty clear pick at this point, in my opinion. All right. Well, I think that uh, originally, when you first said it, I had a involuntary reaction that was very negative. And now that I'm trying to make my choice, I don't hate that pick as much. Yeah, there's no one else good left. Yeah, it's we've we've kind of reached the point where it's like, yeah, we'll see. Um, and now, now I'm having a tough time right now because I'm looking at the board, who's available, and I'm thinking what do I want here? And I think I'm just going to chase unlimited upside. Unlimited. Uh, 
Limited, unlimited, unlimited upside, both from a value and a um, production standpoint. And I'm just going to take Christian Watson, and I'm going to hope that hell that he gets healthy and catches a long pass from Aaron Rodgers, and people get excited in a league full of Twitter analysts that I'm in. And I was so mad because I didn't realize that he got dropped, so I didn't bid on him. And then Coop got him because he's also in that league. And he got him for 35% of his fab, which was so weird because I'm like, if you realized why he got dropped, why didn't you bid 100% of your fab? Yeah, that was a huge mistake on Cooper's part. Co- Cooper, if you're listening, yeah. you you bid 100% of your fab he's in a dynasty. Nobody else Because he was a midweek drop, so nobody else saw it. Oh my goodness. That's madness. <laughs> So I'm going to take Christian Watson. I don't think he's particularly good. I I was very lukewarm on him uh, through the entire process. I was never in love. I was never out of love. I was just meh. And then uh, he got drafted by the Packers, and I thought his value would skyrocket to the moon because he's like 6'5", 220 pounds, and runs like a 4'39 or something ridiculous. And then it didn't. And right, good, good for right. you, Dynasty community. Like this is showing tremendous growth. Three years ago, Christian Watson would have been like the wide receiver one in this class. And here we are not falling ahead over heels. I still don't trust you enough to not do that to him if he has even a moderately successful end of season. So I'm going to go ahead and bank on that for now. I like it. I have said that Christian Watson is one of my top buys right now because I think a lot of people, I mean, one person literally dropped him. And I think that a lot of people are, basically just have no interest in Christian Watson anymore. And and the thing is, right, like a lot of people coming into the draft, they're like, yeah, this guy's pretty bad, but I guess we'll take a shot because he's with the Packers. And then he got like clearly like usurped by Romeo Dobbs to this point in the season. And he hasn't really done anything he's on the field. And so I think people are pretty content reverting to progress. Like, oh, this guy just totally sucks. Um, and like I would be pretty pumped on, uh, on taking a shot at a lower opportunity cost because I don't think the bets fundamentally changed all that much. Um, so I'm with you. Good pick. Uh, not as good as my pick, who's who I would have taken, which is Rashad White. Uh, that the guy was, that that I was, guy was much higher on than Drew. And if you actually want upside, then you should want the 214-pound all-purpose running back who got three designed passing plays this week, including one on a fourth and two, because that's how much they trust him. Um, I think that he still clearly has like no startable value while Leonard Fournette is healthy, but Leonard Fournette, who has never finished a full season healthy, uh, is probably going to miss at least one game at some point in time because he's a running back and he's an old running back and he's a particularly injury-prone running back in terms of not like massive injuries, but he gets nicked up and, and stuff every year. And so if Rashad White has like totally taken all the other running back options from the box completely out of consideration. He has a real role now in their weekly offense. It's not a fantasy viable role, but it shows you that they clearly do trust and value his presence in their running back room, at least to some extent. There should be very little reason to expect that if Leonard Fournette was to go out, Rashad White would not get a overwhelming majority of the work, and specifically that he would get an overwhelming majority of their pass game work, in which he's already been quite involved as a rookie. He also had the highest college target share of any rookie running back in this class. Everything about him says, I catch a lot of passes. And then everything about Tom Brady says, I constantly throw the running back. And if Rashad White even gets like a two-game stretch where he's 
the clear unquestioned starter, he's probably going to be an RB1 in that two-game stretch for the same reasons that Leonard Fournette is so valuable in fantasy. And people are going to go insane. Plus, you already have like this overwhelming sentiment in the dynasty community that Leonard Fournette like is so bad that you just know there's going to be like a whole string of tweets that are going to be like, is it still Leonard Fournette's job when it comes back? And like, yes, it will be. But um, people will think that it won't be. And then you can get absurd things for Rashad White. And also, in the meantime, it's pretty valuable to just get like probably two weeks of like minimum 15 points per game. Um, or Leonard Fournette could like have a devastating career ending injury like this week. And then like Rashad White's just a league winner the rest of the season. So I think Rashad White's a great pick at this point. Yeah, I, I he was it was between Watson and White. I think I obviously made the right choice. You made the right choice because I had already made the right choice and forced you into the right choice. So great job. And now we're back to five. We're going real rapid fire here because we got eight minutes into the two hour mark. Yeah. So we we're gonna go really, so like more. this this is a tough spot for me because I'm really struggling with priors versus like not priors. Yeah, you I'll tell you this much. If you want to take the priors pick, you can have them at the two eleven. Yeah. I uh, I, I, uh, just... I I pronounced the time of death in my week six thoughts on that one. Did you? Wow, that's, I did. that's I said it's over. I said I'm it's not done. I'm not thrown in the towel yet. Yeah. But I am yeah. also not gonna take them right now because priors are are only half the battle. So I'm going to go ahead and do something a little bit crazy, and I'm going to take a gentleman who plays for the horseshoe team, and I'm going to take Alex oh. Pierce. Wow, and you have all the Pierces. You have Damian Pierce yeah. and Alex Pierce. I'm, yeah, that's why I'm going to take him, just to, to get the full collection. I don't think he's any good. I think he's probably, hopefully, okay. I am optimistic that he will play in the NFL. bad to pick. For what's that? This is just a horrible pick. That's all. It's a homer pick. I'm a big Colts fan, <laughs> so really I just pick. had to get him before you did. And that was the whole. Oh point. yeah, I was just racing over myself to get Alec Pierce. He's he's uh, he's got like a 21% target rate or somewhere thereabouts. Yeah, it's not bad. Uh, 21.5. He's coming on strong. He's had six, nine, seven targets the last three games. Things are looking good. I'm just going to take him and hope that we get some touchdown luck here and that I can get out of him. That's for all reference, he's at 0.193% targets uh, for route run, and there's a reason why those stats uh, are different, but I just wanted to state that because I've been using the PFF version for a while, and I don't want people to get the impression that Alec Pierce has a higher targets per route run than Traylon Burks or Sky Moore because he does not. But he does have a higher targets per route run than George Pickens and John Dodson. And it's at least interesting. I make fun of the pick, but I actually do think that Alec Pierce is like, he's at a point where if Alec Pierce was to be better than I thought he was, this is probably how he would start his career, but he's not so good that I'm like, oh my God, I was clearly wrong about Alec Pierce. Yeah, I'm, I'm not ready to buy in on Alec Pierce. We're just at a point in the draft where it's like, well, I got to take somebody and yeah. I think I'm taking him because I think there's a, a reason to get excited about having the opportunity to flip him at some point. Well, I'll, I'll make a I'll make a much better pick than Alec Pierce. Uh, I will take a starting running back for a National Football League team. This is I'll a take terrible. Brian Robinson. Oh my god! Um, like, there's no player more bulletproof than Brian Robinson because he literally is. They shot him, and he continues to play. So he is a bulletproof <laughs> prospect, quite literally. Um, 
I don't think that he's any good. I never thought that he was any good. You uh, did. You were all in. He was one of my most drafted rookies because he was fucking going in the third round of rookie drafts, and he was a day two running back drafted to an ambiguous backfield. And I had the haters and losers like Drew tell me that it wasn't an ambiguous backfield, and that Antonio Gibson was the sun and the moon and the stars. And I said, I don't even no, like Antonio Gibson. And and yet you said that Brian Robinson would probably not be a factor this year. We had this. I did say that, but I it's that not he's because probably going to be the lead running back this year. And you said that was an absurd notion. I will say that Brian Robinson is a terrible prospect and should have never been drafted at this juncture. And well, also that Antonio Gibson is not a good running back. I, will, I, I can have both of those takes and that's okay. The, the fantasy community's obsession with Antonio Gibson is puzzling to say the least. Like I was on Antonio Gibson's prospect. He has a size, he has a speed. He has like theoretical pass catching ability. Um, but everything about Antonio Gibson, the running back, is theoretical. And at this point, we had a chance to test it, and he wasn't good. He's not a good running back. He's a fast running back, and he's a big running back, and he looks like what a good running back looks like, but he isn't actually very effective at running the football well. Um, and the commanders knew that, and that's why they said, clearly we don't want fast running backs or running backs who are good at catching passes or running backs who are good in theory. We want a bad running back. We want, we want Brian Robinson. We want a guy who is going to turn with the velocity of a semi-truck um, whenever he gets around the edge. No, I think Brian Robinson sucks, but he's starting running back, and it's the 2.6. And we're like at least one game where they control the clock, and he gets 20 carries for 100 yards and a touchdown around from the fantasy community, finally dispelling the lingering notions that it has about Antonio Gibson stealing his job back. And then all of a sudden flipping to being way, 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 way too high on Brian Robinson, which they probably already are. But I just think that it's one of the better value picks you can make at this stage. Although there's a couple other options that I'm really hoping to get back to me. All right. Well, yeah, I will go on the record saying that Brian Robinson was not a good prospect and is probably not a good NFL running back. And I agree and with both of those. He is also a starting running back in the NFL. All those yeah. things are true. <laughs> those are the three things. Yeah. Those are the things, three things, and they're all true 100%. No, he sucks. He's so bad. Like watching him is painful. <laughs> it certainly is. Okay. So I'm up. You don't, I... you don't grind Brian Robinson tape. I have to sit through that shit. <laughs> you know, he reminds me of a lot actually is Latavius Murray. Uh, like he's also very tall. He also runs way too upright. He also has like no juice unless you're running in a straight line. Wasn't um, I was going to say Latavius Murray was pretty fast, wasn't he? I feel like he had a fast 40. He's, he was fast in theory, like in the sense that like, and Brian Robinson isn't, he's like slower Latavius, but Latavius like. Latavius Murray, 6'2", 223 pounds and runs a four four three. Yeah, but he didn't play fast. Like, it took him a while to get up to speed. That's fine. And then Brian is Robinson fine. is that, but he also doesn't ever get up to speed. More, more, so what I'm, more so what I'm talking about is the tall running back aspect. Gotcha. And the All fact right. that they're like, I don't know. Like, like Brian Robinson is almost the exact same. He's 6'2", 224. Latavius is 6'2", 223. You don't see a lot of 6'2 running backs in the NFL. That's true. Okay, so I am now up with the 19th pick of the draft. And he has and an 85th point... percentile speed score, Brian Robinson. What? Brian Robinson has an 85th percentile speed score. You know, you would never think that by watching him play, but he does I, have it. I would certainly never think that. <laughs> I'm shocked. His draw score, however, is in the 15th percentile, and his agility score is in the 7th percentile. It's because he's 6'2 and 224 pounds. That's why his speed score is so high. He ran a 4.53. He ran a 4.53. It's not like it's fast. 
No, he's not fast. Like Latavius Murray was like actual fast. Robinson is like fast-ish for his size. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, okay, so I'm up. I'm going to stick to the priors. I'm going to take my guy, and we're just gonna let this play out and see where it goes. He's got a quarterback upgraded incoming. He's oh, got God, you just wasted a pick. Pretty much nobody ahead of him on the depth chart, uh, other than Asmari Cooper. So I'm gonna go with David Bell, and we're just gonna <laughs> let it ride. Do you, do you have any guesses on what David Bell's targets for run is this year? Real low. He's on the field. He's not getting any targets. Amari Cooper is getting like thirty percent target share. This is the sad stupid. thing about David Bell is that, like, I had a friend be like, "Oh, um, David Bell it sucks. He's not getting on the field." And I had to break the news to him that actually he is getting on the field. It's just you wouldn't know it by looking at the box scores. Uh, David Bell has a eight oh eight target share, which uh, Kanye West once released an album called Eight Oh Eights and Heartbreak. And David Bell's target for route run is 0.808. And there is certainly heartbreak involved because I drafted a lot of David Bell. And I feel not good about that selection at the moment. Uh, David Bell's yards per route run is 0.67. That is egregious. I don't even think I need to tell you. But among uh, players with uh, 50 or more dropbacks, that is by a, a lot the worst and among uh, 25 or more drop racks only something called a Dennis Houston is lower in yards per run among rookies uh, so David Bell's been terrible um, will he continue to be terrible I mean I I don't think he'll continue to be this bad because he was always productive and he always earned targets in college and that's why I was buying in I guess what I would say is that he was a third round compensatory pick and he was probably at the part of the draft where he was one team's decision away from being bust here, where we say, okay, like this guy would have checked the boxes, but now he's Tyler Johnson, or now he's um, Amon Rossi. Gabriel Davis. Now he's Gabriel, Gabriel Davis. Davis. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know what Gabriel Davis's rookie year target share, what, or share was, but it was 10.9. And yeah. so far, David Bell's at 9.3. So that's like, let's bad. pump the brakes here. There is a path to extreme relevance in his future. He's going from Jacoby Brissett, who pretty much can't read anything on the field, I'm quite certain, because he only throws the two players. And then he's going to Deshaun Watson. Like, we're going to get that similar kind of uh, Patrick Mahomes installation. He just needs to do, like, anything. Hey? He just needs to do something. Yeah, well, he's really consistent. He's been I guess my, my concern is, like, he has been given opportunity and done nothing with it. And we've he's seen a, this before. Where he's only got a 41% route participation. It's not that high. He got 66% of the routes this week, and he had a 3% targets per route run. Yeah, why? Well, he's got two they targets. Gave him, they gave him 33 routes. He got one target. I'm just saying. That's fine. It's his sixth okay. game in the NFL. My point is, this is, this is like really reminding me of the Deami Brown situation last year where he was a round three pick that I liked a lot more than consensus, and then he got immediate opportunity, and then he did nothing with it. And by the end of the year, they were playing Cam Sims instead of him. Um, uh, I feel like that's unfair. I don't think it's unfair. I think it's unfair. Um, my point being is, I think that David Bell needs to do something fast, or he risks losing his job to somebody else because he's been about as bad as you can be. Yeah. Okay. Fair. You know what? Fair. He needs to do something fast. Like we if, have the, if the Browns came coming. out and they were like, we're playing Mike Woods in front of you next week, I would be like, okay, I get it. Yeah, I'm just I'm just not ready to give up yet. 
Okay. I don't feel like he's valued all that high. I'm not like giving up in the sense that I still have a big bag of David Bell. Let me tell you, the calls are not coming in to acquire his services, so he remains with me. I but, might, I might go and make some offers. But, um, we'll but I'm definitely in a spot where if I'm negotiating a trade and the guy's like, "Can I have a round two pick?" I'm like, "No, but I can give you David Bell." And the guy's like, oh, "I don't really want David Bell." I'm like, "Come on, let's just make it work." And then we're able to do it. Then I'm really happy to get out of David Bell in those scenarios. See, I, I'm, I'm not that uh, ready to give up on David Bell yet. Like you're, you're saying, like Deami, like Deami wasn't as exciting as a prospect as David Bell is, in my opinion. Deami has exciting. His like four seven thousand speed was exciting to you. I don't care what his speed is. Do you know how fast Cooper Cup runs? You know how fast, fast. Keenan Allen runs? You know how fast Jarvis Landy runs? That's no, that's. I, get it. I understand. David Bell bag of I'm just saying. I would never describe David Bell as exciting. He's exciting because he could play a real role. The Diami Brown ceiling was run real fast and hopefully catch a ball. That was that was his thing. Whereas David Bell, like if it comes together for David Bell, he could be a Keenan Allen or a Jarvis Landry or a Cooper Cup. Like maybe not Cooper Cup, that's a bit extreme. But like Cooper Cup prior to last year. Like he could be like a solid slot receiver in the NFL for a long time. That's well within range. Diami Brown was like probably right. a shitty deep threat for a long time the problem that is, is that the problem is that usually what players do when they play in the slot is that they get targeted <laughs> david bell however does not i'm just saying there's time Look, man, i hope games. i hope you're right i hope you're right what i'll say is that he was not games. at risk of coming off six of games in the nfl this man dominated from day one as a boilermaker you gotta right. give him time and okay. like for the record he's only played Double the rope participation of Sky Moore. Yeah. And he has double the targets. Less. And he has, I know he actually has less targets than Sky Moore. Less targets. <laughs> yeah. On double the rush. So that's not very good. Anyway, I'm taking David Moore or David Bell and I'm just going <laughs> to let it He ride. does have a David Moore esque target for route run, actually. <laughs> he does have a David Moore esque profile at this time. <laughs> okay. I'll let it ride. I'm moving okay. on. Uh, You're on. I'll, I'll take Des Ritter. Um, I'll take Desritter easily because uh, we're at the point in the draft where there's, I don't think any players left that I have a particularly high opinion of. Um, so I will definitely take the quarterback who I still think is pretty likely to start some games at some point this year. And he does run. And so that just seems like a, a pretty easy value upside bet to make versus running back some wide receivers that I think are pretty bad. Um, so I'm probably looking at quarterback here. All right. Well, that is uh, fine, I guess. I think the issue is that he's probably not good and he's probably not going to get a lot of value because everybody knows he's a placeholder for the next quarterback, even if he gets to start. And he's not going to score enough points to matter because he's not going to run as much as we need him to run. So I just think that's a wasted pick. And I don't really care about Desmond Ritter. If you're going to take a quarterback, take Malik Willis, who oh, actually who is going to get a ton of hype if he ever gets on the okay, field. Is that who you're taking? No, I'm not taking. What? No. Okay, well, you got you to take him if you're going to take a quarterback. It's, well, it's your pick. You get take who you want to pick. Uh, who, who do I want? Oh, there's not a lot left, eh? I'm going to go ahead and take Trey McBride. Yeah, that's, that's a good pick. I would have been, been the next pick for me. Perry McBride was a bulletproof tight end prospect who's pretty good, and I'm excited to see what he's going to do. I think he's not going to hardly play at all this year because Zach Ertz is playing like an NFL player, which is enough to keep Trey, uh, Trey McBride on the bench. So we'll wait until next year. We're just going to let it coast. 
Ertz is probably gone after this season, and we can uh, we can see how McBride does next year and determine if we want to whatever we want to do next year. We'll find out. Well, uh, I will take the aforementioned Malik Willis now at the two ten. Um, so yeah, I don't think he's going to play this year, and I'm not sure that he ever plays, which is why I always preferred Ritter to Willis in drafts. I also just liked him better as a quarterback. Um, because I think that Ryan Tannehill is pretty good and the Titans are probably going to be in the thick of the AFC South race all season. And I don't think they're going to play Malik Willis for as long as they're in the thick of that race. And I think it's entirely possible that they just keep Tannehill next year also, or that they decide to bring in a new quarterback, but that it's neither of Tannehill or Malik Willis. Um, That being said, Malik Willis does run a shit ton. And so if he ever does get an opportunity uh, to start, then he's probably going to score fantasy points. And if he's going to score fantasy points, he's going to have a big value boost. And we will have a nice sell window. So, uh, Yeah, I think that's perfectly fine. I, we each I have one pick left now. There's, there's no way in hell that Malik Willis is getting on the field unless Ryan Tannehill gets hurt. Or or it's like a giant blowout like the other time he got on the field. And uh, that's the only way it's happening. So he's basically... Uh, Kyle Trask with with some wheels it's more or less what we're looking at like he's a guy who's never going to get on the field but he might get some hype if he ever does so anyway you picked the quarterbacks huge mistakes but whatever we'll move on we each get one more pick so pick wisely one more pick okay uh so with my final pick in the draft I am going to take none other than who the hell am I going to take I'm going to take Oh, I'm going to take Matt Coral and I'm going to put him on my IR. And that's the only reason I'm going to take him right now is because he is IR eligible and I don't have to use a roster spot. Well, I was hoping you would take the other quarterback that's actually reasonable to take and probably the quarterback who's going to start the soonest out of any of these remaining quarterbacks. Um, But you chose to not take Sam Howell, uh, which means that he's available for my pick, but I won't take him. I will take the... I was going to hot take and say he's the best hit in the class, but I don't actually believe that. I still think it's Trey McBride. I'll take the second best hit end of the class, and I will take the tight end who, in his first NFL game, ran 81% of the routes and scored a touchdown and had a tight end one finish on the week. And that is, of course, Greg Dulce de Leche. Uh, I'll take Greg Dulcich with my final pick and the final pick of the two-round mock draft. Uh, and so to recap, my team is let's see if i can remember this drake london garrett wilson chris olave sky moore um jameson jameson williams Jahan dotson getting tougher uh romeo dubs and then rashad white brian rashad white brian robinson desmond ritter malik willis greg dulcich your team was my team is really good. I got Drake. No, I didn't. I got Brees. I got Walker. Oh, my team's good. I got Burks, Pickens, Pierce, Pickett. Which Pierce? Uh, all of them. <laughs> this one happened to be Damian. Then I got Pickett, Juan Dale, Christian Watson, Alec Pierce, David Bell, Trey McBride, Matt Coral. And if I'm looking back now, so Jacob sent me a message pre-recording we're going to do this mock draft so i i was thinking we do it like a one-round mock draft because of matt naturally 
and I prepared for one round. And then I was like, I only prepared for one round. And Jacob's like, well, just, just wing the second round. Like you're on the clock, just make a pick. I'm like, okay, fine. So I took Matt Coral cause I was out of ideas. And I think I'd actually maybe consider taking, uh, uh, James Cook instead of Matt Cole. Oh my god, we did not did we not draft James Cook? No. No, we didn't. Okay, that was dumb. Um I Yeah. James Cook is so was so relevant to my draft plan all yeah. spring because I mean, he was going like like almost like half a round higher than I ever would have considered him that yeah. I forgot that he was part of the rookie class because he yeah. was just like essentially like a free pick where none of the players I wanted to go would go. That being said, not looking at my sheet in front of me that was egregious and i literally had a write-up in the patron post today where i was like james cook is a dynasty buy on a very specific circumstance which is that if people are super out on james cook you should probably go put in a little teaser offer on james cook because they were already primed to be way too in on james cook zach moss was a healthy and active buffalo bills are on buy this week post buy bump they come out with two games against non-conference teams and the jets Historically, they've used Devin Singletary more in the games that they feel like they really need, which are usually showcase games against other AFC teams, like the Chiefs game, the Ravens game, the Dolphins game, where he got these absurdly high snap rates. I expect him to scale Singletary back. They don't tend to use him a ton in non-conference games, games versus bad teams. And if they're going to use a secondary back, it seems like now they've decided it's going to be James Cook, not Zach Moss. I think he's going to come out, he's going to get like 30-40% of the snaps in their next game against Green Bay Packers. People are going to think he's starting a takeover. He's not. That's just how they use the running backs. But I think he would be taking over the Zach Moss role because Zach Moss is so bad. Um, and they finally are ready to admit it. You should trade for James Cook now, and then you should flip him like immediately after if he gets a value bump. But you should only trade for him if you're giving up so little that you're totally okay if it goes to zero. I feel so badly that I forgot to mention James Cook. I absolutely would have taken James Cook in my last pick over Greg Dulcich, but I forgot. Yeah, I would have taken over Matt Coral. Looking, looking back now, uh, it's really satisfying that James Cook um, is so irrelevant. That this is the thing. It's what I want to say to people. Look, first of all, I actually did draft Damian Pierce. I drafted him on fourteen percent of my teams during the rookie drafts. Um, Drew didn't. But if you want to dunk on us for getting Damian Pierce wrong, first of all, don't because I drafted him. Second of all, do dunk on. Literally Drew. drafted him at ADP. Like you, you literally just auto drafted. Yeah, Get out of here. Well, actually, I only drafted him behind ADP, actually, uh, because when it was... What I mean ADP, is you draft him on 14% of your teams, and what's like, what's 1 out of 12? Is it like 8%? 8%, so I have an above market. You like barely drafted him. Like, get out of here. Yeah. Get out well, of here. I spread around, you know? Anyway, so I drafted I drafted Damien Pierce. Drew probably has like 0% Damien Pierce. I have 0 Damien Pierce. Yeah, exactly. I would never, um, never draft Damian Pierce in a rookie draft. That's how so bad. So if you're going to dunk on Drew, which I should emphasize again, that if you're going to dunk on somebody, you should dunk on Drew. Drew. <laughs> Not me. Uh, for the Damian Pierce take. But if you're going to dunk on him, also recognize the same process that led Drew to be out on Damian Pierce and me kind of sort out on Damian Pierce led us both to be super out on first-round rookie pick James Cook, which looks like the most colossally bad first-round rookie pick you could have made this year. Yeah, it was it was an awful ADP. Everyone has made a huge mistake, and that's that's it. But we should have taken him in round two in our redraft. Yeah, we should have. We forgot what we did. That was that. a huge mistake, okay. and that's entirely Jacob's fault for rushing this. Didn't give me warning. We were doing two rounds when I thought we were doing one. 
Had we done two, I would have plotted this out better, and I definitely would have taken James Cook ahead of Matt Corral. Yeah, Matt Corral. Is it, what, okay, how about this really quick question before you end? What's like your biggest regret from rookie drafts from like a process point of view, if you have one? Like, is there like I'm one not trading like, up I to really get wish? I should have traded up to get more Brees Hall. That is, that is my one regret. Brees Hall was an exceptional prospect and not moving mountains to get into a Brees Hall mm. was a mistake. I should have taken my like Dalvin Cook and added to it to get to Brees Hall. Yeah, um, unfortunately, I actually was going to say the same thing, so that's not good. I should have also gotten way more Brees Hall. Um, yeah, I should have, like, when I was on the 1-1, I should have never considered trading back for London Plus or Wilson Plus or Burks Plus. I should have moved every running back that I had for Brees Hall and then either added or gotten on top the additional um, market compensation. And I should have had, like, 100% exposure to Brees Hall. Not to be fair, I, I don't think I drafted Brees Hall or Drake London or any of these guys in any rookie drafts this year. I got them all in Debbie like a year or two years ago. That's all of my like high caliber players were all taken in Debbie. So I'm just a total fraud. I never drafted any of these guys, but I should have. I would have had I had the opportunity. So I did. I didn't draft nearly enough Brees Hall. I only have like an at market Brees Hall exposure. Eight um, percent, which isn't good. Um, I do have way over market on London. I'm at eighteen um, percent, but uh, I should have more Brees Hall. And the other regret I have is taking fucking David Bell so much. And I and I I like think in a sense this was a good process pick because he was a coin flip with a really strong production profile. But I also think I should have just looked at the value and been like, what's more exciting, like uh a slot wide receiver on a Jacoby Brissett offense or potential bell cow running back for the Houston Texans. And I should have just made all of my bells pierces or all of my bells Malik Willis's or all of my bells Ritters, just like prospects with like more pizzazz to them as potential options or even Trey McBride's. Like I should have just taken quarterbacks and tight ends and running backs instead of taking like a, an uninspiring wide receiver, even though I think on a micro level, he was the right pick. I tend to prioritize the macro over the micro and I unfortunately prioritize the micro and I have way too much fucking David Bell and I want to end my life over all my David Bell. <laughs> yeah, I don't I actually want to end my life over all my David Bell, but I really wish I had less because every time I look at him on my roster, I'm like, man, this guy just taking up a roster spot. I have no regrets about drafting uh, David Bell. I think it was great process to draft David Bell. Um, I think it's too early to give up on David Bell, and I think that you're making a huge mistake by offloading him at this juncture. God, I hope that you're right, because let me tell you, I have not offloaded. Oh, I've actually gotten more. This is the frustrating part. I've actually gotten more David Bell, because um, my best friend, who I do a ton of trades with, uh, he also drafts a lot of David Bell. He actually liked David Bell even more than I like David Bell. Um, and... Like he was taking David Bell over Rashad White in rookie drafts. So I was not. I was taking Rashad White over David Bell, but uh, he we're doing these trades, and on a couple teams where my team's gone not so well, and, and he's trying to add pieces, and he's like, "Oh, I don't have an extra second round pick. Can you take David Bell?" I'm like, "No, I don't want fucking David Bell." He's like, "Yeah, but I kind of have to give you David Bell because I don't have anything else to do." I'm like, "Fine, fucking David Bell." Yeah, like Dave, David Bell is right now on keep trade cut is at two thousand ninety seven KTC points, pretty which bad. is like. Nothing. Yeah, that's not good. He hasn't changed. 
Like the whole season, he's been at he's down 177. Oh, he's valued the same as John Mechie. That's a tough scene. Yeah, but he always was. Like <laughs> it's not like he was outrageously overvalued in rookie drafts. Yeah, but I like took him too high. Like I was taking him like the no. 203. That was bad. Yeah, I don't know where I was taking him. Somewhere in the well, middle. Well, probably the, the 203. You had him ranked at like the 112. Yeah, I had him ranked really high, but we don't draft at rank. We drafted ADP, and his ADP would have been the mid-second and mid, mid to... So my take was there was kind of a tier break at the 203. So I thought, like, there was, like, the obvious, like, top eight, and there was Pickett. And then it was, like, the tier of, like, Pickens and Dawson and Watson. And then the other guy... And then the... And then... um, uh, Cook and White and Bell. And that was, like, kind of a tier for me where clearly the market was like taking some Pierce and some Willis ahead of the, of Wandale and, um, and David Bell and white, and whatever. Um, but I was like, no, like, I think I need, I guess two, four, sorry, I guess the two, two. I was like, no, I'm going to take Bell and Wandale. Like I'm going to draw a line. I'm going to take Bell and Wandale before the quarterbacks and McBride. Um, and I wish that I had not drawn that line with Bell, but I'm also glad that I drew that line with Wandale. Cause I think he's going to be a stud. So I did. I just checked. I have not drafted a single, Brees Hall or Drake London in a rookie draft. All of my copies have come in Debbie leagues. Why are you such a fraud? Uh, well, here's the thing: I don't have bad teams. That's true, but you don't you trade for like, picks that are others. Like I don't, like I don't know what percentage of my rookie picks are my own. Probably like half. I trade for all the picks, but I trade like honestly, my leagues are quite old. Like they're, I don't know at this point, probably my oldest or my newest dynasty league is probably like two or three three years old at this point. And all of my leagues since then have been Devi. So mm. I get them in the Devi leagues because we're right. like, I'm just those old teams. I don't have a tremendous amount of early draft picks on. Yeah. But, I, had, uh, I, had, I had a mixed bag in, in Devi because the guys that I was really heavy on from this class in Devi uh, were Drake London, which went really well. Uh, David Bell, which went not quite as well. Uh, Wandell Robinson, which went phenomenally. And then uh, Romeo Dutz, which went poorly and then well. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think that is all we have for you this week. Uh, Tune in next week to the Sweat and Bullets, a fantasy football podcast. And have a great night or day, whenever you're listening to this, just have a fantastic time. Okay.